Hello and welcome to episode 145 of the Random Town Podcast. I'm Jason. And I'm Angel. And this episode is called Switched On as it is our Switch launch blowout of an episode. It's everything you can want to know about the Switch. It's been almost, I think now, three years since Iwata first said NX as a thing. And here we are with the Switch in our hands. Rated play it. Talk about it, Sarah. So in this episode... uh, we're going to be doing a lot. It's kind of a special episode because it is the launch. We'll be sharing impressions of the Switch itself and a bunch of the launch games, namely 1-2-Switch, uh, Clips, and Super Bomberman uh, R. We will have Zelda next episode because it's massive. Just, just be honest, it's massive. We haven't gotten far enough in. But we're also going to be looking in this episode at what's in store for Switch going forward, um, driven by the 60-plus indie game announcements that came out last week in that Nindy pr- presentation video. And we also have hands-on impressions of upcoming games, because I was at the uh, Switch preview tour just before we recorded. So we have ARMS, Mario Kart 8's Battle Mode, all sorts of stuff like that. And if that's not enough, we also are celebrating the launch by giving away a $20 eShop gift card at the end of the show, courtesy, or we'll explain how you can win at the end of the show, courtesy of longtime listener uh, Satoshi. So thank you for that, Satoshi. Yeah, thank you. So, yeah, there's a lot involved in this episode. You can find timestamps for everything at random.com. Uh The blog post for this episode, we can list them all there. But first, there's been a thing going around on the internet, you may know, in that, so the cartridges have a bittering agent on them, the Switch cartridges, and everyone's been licking them. So we were going to do like a toast to the Switch, and then you realize what better way to toast it than by licking some cartridges live on the podcast and then having that awful taste stuck in our mouth for two hours. So I've never licked one, I don't know what to expect, I just know it's bitter, and apparently tastes kind of like bug spray. You've witnessed people lick them. You've had bug spray? No, but... You get sprayed in your mouth back if you're putting it on your face or something. Has that not happened to you when you like rub it in your hands and you rub it on your face and then you get a little on your lips and then you taste it? No, but I could see how that could happen. Yeah. You're yeah. about to call me out on that being silly and then you realize it's actually quite sound. So, anyway. Well, because so- it, I don't know. I mean, I, I feel like people usually have like bug ointment. I don't know if they have bug spray that you put on your face. I know they put it on well, no, their no, arms. No, no, no. You spray the bug spray into your hand, rub it in your hands like it's soap or something, then rub it on your face. Yeah. Or I'm doing it wrong and that's why I'm tasting <laughs> bug spray and you aren't. Either, either way, I guess. But yeah, you've you've never you've never done this either. No, right? I've only seen Elvis and some friends do it. So I guess I guess we should do it and then have the taste stuck in our mouths. You ready? Alright. I it's yeah. weird. I'm, it's I can't audio. believe I'm doing this. This is ridiculous. We, we need to like clank them like they're champagne flutes or something. Uh, no, we don't. Don't worry. <laughs> I'm not serious. Are we actually doing Okay, so everyone tuning in expecting deep. I am keeping analysis. Elvis from playing Zelda. Yeah, Elvis is already sitting here like, can I just play Zelda again? But uh, everyone expecting deep Nintendo analysis, don't worry, we're getting to it. We just first have to lick pieces of plastic that are made to keep children away. So. Hmm. Oh, that's not... It kind of ling... <coughs> it lingers. It ling... It is bug spray. It is straight up... Bu- oh, no, don't swallow. Don't swallow well, like a saliva because no, it goes yeah, into yeah, your throat. Yeah, yeah, too late. Um... You know, it's not horrible. It was pretty horrible. It's the, the, the back was. It's actually pretty disgusting. Like, yeah, it, it's, it's not it, going it, away. It's definitely, it definitely does an excellent job of making you want to keep your tongue away from it. Because the moment my tongue touched it, I immediately want to take it off. And... I, I feel like I didn't do a big enough lick. Because while it's bad, it's not horrible. And then you get punished. No, like with it's, the it's like the, there's like a little. You know what? Hold on. Oh, why did I do? It? Okay, now it's bad. Why did I do it again? Wow, this is actually kind of impressive. <laughs> oh God, <laughs> this is. Props to Nintendo for giving us chemical. <laughs> <laughs> wow, this is actually pretty impressive. I think I did um, too little the first time. Oh god, um, I'm afraid to swallow. I just swallowed. Oh, that was a mistake. It's now in my throat. Uh, yeah. So this was a good episode. I'm now gonna go wash my mouth for 20 minutes. It's been it's been fun. No, um, it is a deterrent. 
the internet definitely played it up a little. But it well, is yeah. definitely pretty well, I mean, bad. just like, I mean, I don't know, reaction videos and stuff. I mean, it's, people obviously will here's, go from a scale of 1 to 11. But here, Here's the problem. I it's been two it, minutes. It's still there full force. It's not been two minutes. It's been like... It's been a, a minute. And it's still there. It's still... I drank water. It didn't wash it out. It's still there. It's going to be there forever. That... It's like I could touch where it is on my tongue. Well... Now that we've done that, let's talk Nintendo, shall we? <laughs> so, um, oh god, it's really. Yeah, I don't know why you went for seconds. You must because really I didn't it. do enough the first time, and now it's like it lingers. It like sticks. Oh. It, like sticks oh, to your tongue. I'm fine now. I'm not. It's not that bad. It was, it was nasty, but don't touch yeah. your tongue where you licked it because then it pushes the flavor further into your tongue, as I just noticed. Well, <clears> I think I didn't lick enough for it to do that. I did because I went back for seconds, which was a horrible idea. Anyway, now I'm letting my Bomberman cartridge dry off in my jeans, so we'll see. <laughs> don't cough out. That also makes it worse. Basically, don't breathe. Just, like, go lie down in the couch. Face down. And suffocate. Anyway, Can switch. we start now? <laughs> <laughs> so to start off, now that we've licked cartridges. God, that was... Anyway, to start off, I feel like we should talk about the switches. Mm, for Mr. It's not that bad. You're, like, No, it's, like, reaction. coming up... It's coming up later. Like, it, like... Didn't hit. It's like when we, okay, so we'll, you're literally acting as bad as the people that you say are overreacting. No, like it, it got worse when I did the second lick. Well, anyway, to start us off, <laughs> let's talk about the switch. Uh, not the games per please, se, please. not the future of it, which we'll get to later, but the actual console, the actual switch. And before we get into the nitty of our likes and dislikes, um, I personally feel like my biggest takeaway with this thing is the switch has something that the wii really lacked and something that we last saw on the wii which is a comprehensive cohesive vision like everything about the switch just has this kind of seamless feeling to it that to me at least suggests there's this confidence from nintendo we haven't seen the last generation like um they had a clear especially as guys like there was a clear leader with a clear end goal and they knew how to reach it and they reached it and to their credit they reached it on a general level, I should say. There are obviously nitpicks we'll get to, but on a general level, I think they nailed what they were trying to do. Like, you pop the Switch off its dock, and the screen instantly switches just as it should. You change how you use the Joy-Cons. You know, you switch from the grip to individual, or you put them on the sides. And not only does the system adjust on the fly, but it then gives you this little pop-up on the screen that's like, hey, you changed the Joy-Cons, here's what you're using now, here's how it looks. Like, all this helps create this system that, to me, really feels like this... It feels like it's comfortable in its own skin, for lack of a better term. Like, it feels like it's confident in what it is and it, and does what it does well. And you see that spill over into other facets of the system. Like, there's this little UI thing where you slide the Joy-Cons in left and right. And it does the switch click sound effect. And the little rubber band animation comes in on the side to show you it clicked in. Or, like, this is a silly one. But, seriously, you look at how you open the switch when you unbox it. And it's, like, being presented to you. It's not just in cardboard, like, in bags. It's, like, here are the Joy-Cons and here are the... And here's the tablet, and they're very nicely laid out for you. Like, that seems silly, and that seems minor, I get that, but when you put it all together, it really does feel like there's a specialness about the Switch that the Wii kind of lacked. Like, it's a specialness we saw with the Wii, actually. If you look at the Wii, the way the hardware and software bounced off each other and whatnot, and the way that, like, even the way it came in its own box, those two drawers, it's like, step one, and you pull out the drawers, it's like, here are your Wii Didn't remotes. did the Wii U step have two. that, too? No, the Wii U, and I remember this vividly because I'm like, this is dumb. The Wii U, you open the box, and it's just gray beige, or, like, beige cardboard, which is, like, I mean, stuff is scattered in it. Like, it's like, here's the spot for the console, but it's, you know, wrapped in the foam, and it does, it feels like you're just opening a box versus, like, opening a thing. Like, this is, like, Apple packaging more. 
almost. Which again sounds silly, silly, but like all these things help to make the Wii or the Switch more than what the Wii was. Like you're presented with, like this special experience you're about to have with the Switch, and like look at Wii U. Like besides the box, in terms of like how it felt, the system was kind of designed by committee. Like if you really distill it down, everything the Wii U had was just a hodgepodge of old Nintendo ideas presented together in some sort of new way. You had dual screen game, uh, sorry, dual screen gaming with the touch screen. You had the Wii Remote Motion comp- Controls, complete with the same sensor bar being in the box for a second generation. You had even the branding on the game boxes was reused. You had even that, where, like, if you recall, the Wii had that weird little, like, squiggle thing on the top of the box. The Switch obviously has the rectangle in the corner. Well, the Wii U used the exact same ribbon that the GameCube used, just color-swapped. Everything about Wii U kind of felt like it was just like by committee thrown together and then they just put it in a box and sent it out there. Switch, from the box design to the UI tweaks to the way everything just kind of ebbs and flows, just feels like it's like this more special, cohesive thing. I don't know. It's hard to put into words, but just like it feels more comprehensive. It feels like it was more thought through. Granted, it has issues of of sorts, but it feels overall to me like it was a lot more thought through. Now, real quick before I ask you what your take is, I should say there are probably people listening and I'm sure you're somewhat thinking it too, like, oh god, Jason, you're a fanboying so hard right now. This is the nerdiest, stupid thing I've ever heard. Like, you're just being blown away by the technology. Why would you say that? You're a genuine fan feeling these genuine thoughts. Well, and for I those can... that think I'm exaggerating it, I would like to point out I am not biased, and I know I'm not biased, because my own personal Switch is broken. It came broken. I don't have a dock, and I can't play it on the TV. And I'm still able to tell you this, because I've been able to play it other ways. Which, uh, But my point is, basically, when I put in the dock my personal switch i'll put in the dock and my tv i've tried on three tvs four hdmi cables always it just says no signal the switch goes into console mode the tv detects that there's something there like it's you know aware that there's something there's just no input signal so i need to get the dock replaced but right now i have no dock my switch is strictly portable which actually isn't horrible but it's strictly portable and that means there's something that i haven't been able to do I haven't played Zelda yet because I learned just now before we recorded, but originally I didn't know if I'd have to send the entire Switch to Nintendo or the dock. Now, thanks to you, Angel, I know it's just the dock. We used your dock and it was fine. So I didn't play Zelda because I didn't want to have to send the system back and risk it getting erased or return it to Best Buy and get it erased. I didn't want to invest a lot into Zelda. So I've, it's so agonizing to not touch Zelda. But it's also really funny that this this is the only system where it's like, oh, darn, I can't play on the TV. I have to torture myself with not playing the other handheld option. You're just like, oh, it doesn't work on TV. That's it. You have no game console. It's done. But um, but either way, I feel comfortable in saying all this. That's kind of cool, though. And as I was pointed out today, I had, it hadn't occurred to me that if there's like a like a blackout or like an electrical surge, like you still have the handheld mode. Mm-hmm. It's not like a normal console that can actually short circuit if you don't have a surge protector or for whatever reason that fails. Yeah. So like my situation is not as bad as it would be if this was a Wii U. But the reason I bring up the dock thing is to say, like, I haven't used personally the TV mode, and I still feel this way about the Switch, because we were able to play the Switch. Well, you have it, so you've been able to do it normal. But, like, you and me had a last-minute opportunity to try out the Switch a few days before launch. A friend of, a friend of ours hit us up and had one, and we got to try it and play 1-2-Switch, and it was really fun. So I got to see how the system worked under those normal circumstances. So I can say confidently that I feel that this, the Switch is like something special that you don't see every generation from Nintendo. So on the broad level, I'm very happy with the Switch. And I also, real quick, uh, want to thank our friend for letting us try the Switch early. Because thanks to him, my 13-year streak of playing every game system by Nintendo before it came out is able to continue. So 
thank you friend yep. you know who you are <laughs> thank <laughs> you, you very cryptic, very much yes. yeah um but anyway yes yeah, so that's my two cents on switch i think it has its flaws we're gonna get into all the gray about it but overall i think it's this really special thing that you don't get from nintendo all that often and it's really cool that we got it and it works as advertised except mine yeah what where do you think i mean you you've played a lot more than i have because yours works <laughs> well i mean they definitely weren't kidding when they said that it's one of those things that you can't really appreciate until you really have one and you really mess with it yeah because i mean you're like all right you could take it in it's actually it's exactly how with um off tv play was at first where you think it's like this um second hand option you're like all right well like, who's gonna want to play on the gamepad i'd rather play on the tv but then eventually you find these comfortable positions to play on you just want to take it to your room and you sometimes you prefer to play it on the gamepad than the tv and the switch is the same like i've the screen is so nice on it that sometimes i really don't mind playing on the on the switch screen the screen blows the gamepad out of the water Hmm? the screen on the switch blows the gamepad out of the water granted i'm spoiled by my iphone with insane viewing angles but the viewing angles and the clarity on the switch are shockingly good compared to the wii u I mean, obviously, it'd be a step up. It's an HD screen for I mean, it's, time, it's but... literally a bigger, nicer Vita screen. Because I think the Vita screen is 540p, and this one's 720p. So yep. it's obviously nicer. The Switch is a bigger, nicer Vita. I mean, look at its indie support. This thing is the Vita 2 by a different company. That's pretty much it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, that also plays on your TV. Which Vita do is remote play. So it really is a Vita. Yeah. It's a fully realized Vita. Yeah. But yeah, you're saying. Sorry. But, no, yeah, I, just, I just really like it. Just taking it in now. It's very seamless. Uh, I wish I had the experience of being able to do that. I mean, I can't yeah. put it in the dock, but nothing happens. I mean, I don't know. This is just me personally, but yeah. the only thing that's kind of been bothering me interface-wise is just the switching between friends and just the, well, just the lack of that friend app. I just want to be able to message people already or just mm-hmm. send and receive messages, but mm-hmm. that's not possible. And it is kind of weird because since obviously I do share the Switch with my brother Elvis, um, both our icons are up there. So at times they'll be like, oh... Um, Jake Redcrest Elvis is online, but it's like, but I'm, I, obviously, because I'm also playing the same Switch, so yeah. whenever he's online, I'm online, and whenever I'm online, he's well, online. Well, it only shows you online, little fun fact, it will only show you online if you are in a game. Oh, okay, so that means his, his game, game is, must have been running in the yes, background, I was until just, you close t- the game. and then I was tinkering with other stuff. Right, but. if you're just messing with the interface, it lists you as offline, oh, which okay. is different from Wii U and 3DS, where it would, no matter what, if the second you connect, you're online. That makes sense, yeah. Yeah. But, but before I get to the interface, though, I do want to i feel like there's a lot to say about the hardware specifically like we kind of touched on the screen but like this thing like the the tablet first of all so much louder than you would think it would be like that itty bitty tablet really can pump out volume for stuff like one two switch or or multiplayer games if you're playing in kickstand mode i was kind of impressed I was also kind of impressed when you're holding it with the Joy-Cons how thin it feels. But yet, the, second you, take the, feels, yeah, yeah. the second you take the Joy-Cons off, it suddenly feels really fat. Like, it's weird how it plays games with your head. It's like because a fat like, iPhone or yeah. a fat little smartphone when not, without the It's Joy-Con like a chubby stuff. tablet, and then when you put the Joy-Cons in, and suddenly it feels like a console. You're like, wow, that's a thin console. Like, yeah. it's the exact same, but your brain is interpreting it with different contexts, so it feels different. But I think the one part of the hardware that could use some improvement is the kickstand. Now... There was a video CNET put out, I'm sure you saw it, where um, they did like a fake 90s infomercial, or are you having trouble with your kickstand? And they're like knocking the switch over aggressively and it falls over and they're like, the kickstand sucks. Well, it's not that bad, but quite frankly, it's not that great either. It's definitely the flimsiest part, and there is the weird fact that the SD card lives inside the kickstand. You've dropped it before? What? You've dropped your switch already? With the kickstand? 
if you put actually, if it's not a completely flat surface, if it's on like an arm of a couch, it will not stand. This this kickstand's not strong enough to do it. Or it's not centered or whatever, so it'll tip over. But what I was getting at, the, no, I haven't dropped it, but it's flimsy in general. Like it just feels flimsy. Like I know that's because really? they make it so it pops off. Hmm. That's why. Well, flimsy. Like look at the. It's weird because like the, I was yeah. messing with the with the kickstand today, just for no reason. I was just like putting it on the table and just putting it on the desk, and mine feels stiff. Like it feels like rigid. Like if I pop it out, it'll move over all the way over, and then it feels almost like it locks. I mean, it probably doesn't. Yeah. But I don't well, know. no, no, mine does that too. But what I mean is, like, like, compared to the rest of the switch, it's like this really thin piece of flexy stuff. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's it, not horrible, but it's just like it. it I have no qualms. I mean, if it wasn't for the CNET article and people bringing that up, I probably would have never brought up the switch stand that was being. Oh, I still would have. It's, it's not. It's not. Again, it's not bad. It's just that when, with something as solidly built as the switch, which is probably Nintendo's most solid. Well, so they probably just should have designed. put two kickstands, like one on or no, or... not not necessarily two, but they should have done one bigger one. They should have been wider, maybe mm, like I the Surface know. Pro ones, maybe maybe more like that. But the thing is, like the, the entire switch, back end, just be the a whole, whole thing just popped out. I mean, but that would that would resi- and also um um the viewing angle, which it hasn't affected me yet. But I can see if you're not seeing at the ideal angle to view it, you have no way to adjust that viewing angle. If you're using kickstand, it's one or done, one and done. Apparently, it plays nice with the with the 3ds stand That's and true. the and gamepad the, stand. And the gamepad stand, yeah. But um, but yeah, if you guys haven't seen that scene that video, like I don't want to give him clicks for such a dumb like clickbaity video, but it is kind of a funny video. So like we do link to it on the blog post if it you know, if it interests you. But um, yeah, that's the only thing. The thing I find annoying though is um, the SD card slot is under the kickstand, which in theory is really clever. But then like what if like I was talking to my friend about it, um, and he was like, well, what happens if you're on an airplane and you're playing your Switch and then suddenly you have to like get up because the plane lands or whatever? I don't know why you wouldn't know the plane was landing and be able to prepare in advance. But let's they say would you tell didn't. you. Let's say you didn't. Let's say you get up quickly and you bonk the Switch against something or whatever. The SD card could just fall right out and you wouldn't really know. Now, I know it locks in somewhat, but if you snag it on something, like if you snag it on the armrest as you get up, you won't know if it falls out because it's just there. I don't know. It's a minor issue. I feel like no, it's a minor perfect issue. amount of things would have to happen for something to actually get your... Oh, totally. Because, no, I mean, it right. would have to be pushed in with some force and then pulled out. No, you can but... just pull it out. You don't have to push it in. There's no uh, click mechanism like the game card. Talk oh, about the isn't. SD card. Yeah. That's the problem. Mm. If they did a spring-loaded, it actually would probably be better. Possibly worse because if it gets sprung in, it shoots out. Are you sure? I'm positive that mm. it doesn't have a spring. I'm not positive how tight or locked it is, but... It is kind of like a thing where you're thinking about it. You're like every SD card. Handy. And uh, oh, I have mine. Should I get up? I feel like we should read some. All right. That's my chair. This is me walking away. Yeah, because I mean, I don't know. I honestly can't think of. I mean, outside of that scenario, even then, like if you're standing up from an airplane seat. Okay. I don't know. I. Eat... Did anyone complain about our sound quality, which is a legit complaint? We have had that issue. Um, me being across the room and talking probably did not help the case. Anyway, I'm back. So here's the stand. See, mine locks as well. You could hear the click on the mic. But look at how, like... That is loud. But look how, like, flimsy that is. No one can see what I'm doing, but I'm wiggling the stand on my hand. Okay, but I but mean... Anyway, why would card, you ever... The SD card comes right out. No spring, no anything. Mm-hmm. I just I put no force on that. Oh. It just, like, slides right out. Interesting. All right. Oh, wait a minute. Oh, yeah. Yep. And then the switch turned on, too. All right. I'll so there is, actually... I take it back. There is a bit of a spring... But uh-huh. it doesn't do anything. <laughs> Here, try it. Wait. So, like, push it in, and it sort of springs back, but then it doesn't, like, lock. It just sort of... It's like, it does lock. 
Wait, if you weren't I'm not in this whole You time? weren't pushing it in all the way in. That could be why it came right out. So that means for like, <laughs> wait, well, that's almost an, a different issue entirely. So that means so for it, the it, past it, three days, I've had a loose SD card. And, yeah, so you and could. And it was fine, so that negates my whole point. <laughs> yeah, so that means you, luckily you haven't downloaded um, more than 25 gigs oh, of yeah. anything, so. Yeah, because I'm all like, I'm pretty sure it locked in, but you were so confident that you made me second guess. That's because I don't know how to use my Switch, because again, the dock's broken, so, so naturally so if, I don't know. So anything. if you don't put your SD card in properly, <laughs> it won't work. And you're on an airplane and you stand up too quickly, you could possibly lose your microphone. Yeah, SD. so ignore that entire talking point. Wow, Jason. Well, I didn't. I screwed it up. I've been distraught about my dock, okay? I know, yeah, that's true. <laughs> but anyway, um, I, the, the thing is... I'm glad, we, 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 I'm glad we clarified that on the air. So if anyone has a loose SD card, click it in. It's, it's a life... <laughs> we have turned this into a teachable moment, is what we've done. But honestly, the rest of this thing is so... is like super well built. Like, it's the most sturdy, like, high-tech feeling Nintendo product that's ever been made. I'm just hitting it randomly while you talking. You really like it, like, just so they know that I have it on. I, just so you know, because no one can see my hands. But no, it's um, it's really well done. And I think the Joy-Cons are especially well done. They're surprisingly small. They're really light. They're quite comfortable for games like 1-2 Switch. Um, admittedly, they're more awkward when you're holding them sideways for snipper clips. Or um, it, when I tried Sonic Mania at the tour, which we'll talk about later, it was weird. Because I was using the um, right Joy-Con with the stick in the middle. So I was like hunched over half a controller and the other half was just there and empty. A little weird, but like that asymmetry, I understand why they need it because you need to make it work well in handheld mode and on the grip. Yeah, but it does feel weird when you're using just one, especially snipper clips when you're like using the same controller, but the two people playing are using them in totally like holding them totally differently, so or stretching their thumbs totally differently. And I have a switch, I don't know what to do with it. Um, just put it on the desk. All right, anyway, yeah, I mean, what what's your take on like all that stuff, like Joy Con? What do you think of it? I like the Joy-Cons. I don't really like the SL and SR buttons when you don't have the mm-hmm. the the grip on it. I guess the Joy-Con... Um, what was it? The comfort grip? It's not the comfort grip. It's the... It's uh, the wrist strap the, grip fun time. <laughs> the, wrist, the, the wrist strap slider thing. I think it's called the comfort grip. I think you're right. Well, we'll call it the comfort grip for now. It, yeah, the thing that goes over the Joy-Con so that you have proper buttons for L and R because... No, as they are, they're like indentations. They're like little buttons you have to press in. Mm-hmm. They don't protrude. Yeah, this. they don't protrude out. And without them, it's kind of weird. Like when I was playing snipper clips, well, we were playing snipper clips without it and rotating the little figure. Oh yeah, it's super weird. That's yeah. I have that same issue. Uh, I feel like it. I mean, this is definitely more of a like an issue with snipper clips itself. But I feel like they rotate slower than I would like them to. But I mean, that's that's not really also, a deal breaker. Um, of note with those wrist straps, which I think are just called wrist straps. I can't find otherwise. Um, they are weird to get out. So when we played the Switch before it came out, I thought I was just an idiot because I couldn't figure out. There's like a lock mechanism and you unlock and they slide up from the bottom. And no matter what I did, it like it takes a while before it gives. So you think you're going to break it and then obviously you don't break it. But you think you're going to break it and then you give it. Yeah, you have to make fine. sure you unlock the little white Switch. But I have seen so many complaints online about how weird that is and how awkward it feels and how it doesn't feel natural and i'm like well, i'm vindicated i thought it was just i mean me, it makes sense not. because it's definitely not as easy to get them out as it is from the joy con grip or from the switch console itself yeah those are like, seamless like, yeah like those come out smoothly and click right in these yeah. for whatever reason need that extra latch on them and you have to yeah you, know, you pretty much have to you have to know you're not going to break them you just have to forget that fear just be pressing it yeah it i will say the one thing that the Joy-Con does perhaps best of all is HD rumble. 
I love the idea of HD Rumble. I love the idea, but I feel I, like I've only played like three things. That's up to developers. To no, I know, it, I know. But as of now, it still feels like, um, I don't know. It's a little underutilized. So it's underutilized. It's still in the gimmicky level. We have we still have to wait because I, honestly, I don't really know how you can make HD Rumble. I don't know. I, I guess valid or like i don't know what i don't know what could here's come three out. examples four examples in, in fast remix you or rmx you that, uh it show it rumbles the part of the controller that corresponds to part of the car that's it in the just announced indie game overcooked it simulates the different sensations of the food being cooked be it boiling or chopping or whatever it may be it does those types of motion those types of feels so it's a little more tactile and once you switch as we know which this is the very first thing we did in one two switch for those the very first thing we did when we tried the switch period when we tried it last whenever it was was we did ball count and went to switch and it really felt like there was a group of balls in there like you roll it around they move around you tilt it fast they accelerate as you would expect with inertia you shake it they bounce up and down in place it felt just like there were real balls in there that's the perhaps the most gimmicky but there are three examples i'm thinking of a I know. tumble seed it mimics where it's like a way of indicating where you are on the screen. I know that's it. Like yeah. I mean, that one's a little uh, that's until those come out. Like tumble seed seems like it makes the most sense for overcooked. Seems cool. Yeah, that one just and that, that one seems cool. Um, I mean, fast remix is out. Yeah, but I mean, so it's it's one of those things that I think. That I mean, I don't know how much. Um, I mean, I I've never got to play much with the next box one, so I don't know how good the rumble is on that or how. The potential, because I know Xbox One is pretty good. I, yeah, because I know the rumble, and then like it can rumble in certain places, or it can do. It doesn't simulate, from my understanding. I've only used it in a couple games, but it, it's really cool in Forza, actually, where it feels like you're like it, you like feel like the the tire or like the pressure. You know when you accelerate a car and it kind of like takes a second before it goes and then it sort of lurches forward. It sort of mimics that, but in the controller, which is kind of neat. I mean, rumble in general has just improved so much. Yeah. That um, I guess I need more. More implementations, kind of like tumble seed and the ball count. Ball count was insane. I mean, it, ball count blew my mind. Like, like pretty much things, that was <laughs> like pretty much things that make it. I don't know. That make it feel like it's a real part of the game, as opposed to like, oh, this just makes it feel cool, but it doesn't really add anything. Kind of yeah. like, um, I mean, like three D in games. Like, I would definitely would like to have it if it's there. But we're but, not missing it now. Yeah, but if switch. it's not there, it you, it's still perfectly fine. Mm-hmm. Pretty much. I can, but we're at the point where very few things. I mean, I, I could definitely see it being. Um, I mean, I don't. They could have done this in um, Breath of the Wild, but like having your sensor, your radar, like, like the way it vibrates will alert you for certain different things or stuff yeah. like that. I mean, I'm surprised I mean, Breath of the Wild doesn't use the. I mean, I'm, I'm not totally surprised they didn't use HD Rumble because it they dev time rumbles. Even when like things are like really rumbling on the screen, where like a, this is like in the beginning of the game yeah. where like the tower shoots out. Like I thought it would be rumbling like crazy, but no, it's like tiny little rumbles. It's just like, bzz, bzz. Yeah. yeah, it's um, I'm HD Rumble's not in Zelda because of the dev. They didn't have yeah, time yeah, to do yeah. it. But it'd be cool if when they put out the DLC, they released a patch that added HD Rumble. Hmm. Why not, right? But no, I was going to say that like the ball count thing. I or... know. I can really feel like when lightning strikes or I don't know. Yeah, mm-hmm. that'd be cool. But the ball count thing in particular made me realize that you're right. It's a lot of untapped potential right now and a lot of like we have to wait and see. But if they do it well, what the ball count thing felt to me like. Is oh, yeah, the ball count HD thing was amazing. Rumble, yeah. HD Rumble is tactile VR. Like VR as we know it is this idea of you have a virtual world you're in and you see it. I mean, but this is already like, like handsets. I mean, yeah. they already give you the VR thing. Just drop the. Yeah, no, no. But what I'm saying is like in the same way that VR helmets that we know, like PlayStation VR, which is incredibly fun, as I know because you guys now have one. Um, 
that's visual VR. That's v, like we consider VR to be a visual dominant thing. It's visual based exclusively. The HD Rumble feature is the same idea of creating a virtual reality, but instead of worrying about visuals, it is strictly the feel of what that reality should be. It's interesting because it's like the same idea, just a different sense of like a different one of your five senses, which is kind of cool, I think. Like it's, it, if you frame it that way, it sounds way more innovative than it actually is being used for now. But it means there's so much untapped potential. Hmm. I feel like. Yeah. Well, but, I mean, definitely, we're literally on day three. Yeah, we're on day three. And I mean, if, if they can make a whole game that's just ball count, <laughs> I'll play it. I don't care. <laughs> Super Monkey Ball it's, it's, somehow. Oh, that'd be amazing. You know, I, I'll make this point when we get to Bomberman, but Bomberman, Super Bomberman R is basically the Super Monkey Ball of the Switch launch. I'll, I'll explain that in more detail, but since you mentioned Monkey Ball, I wanted to tease it. Uh, but before we get to any of that, um, other controllers. So you've been playing Zelda. I haven't, as I mentioned. I, oh, I wish I could have. But you've been playing Zelda. You've been using Pro Controller. You've had the grip. You've probably used the grip with some stuff. How they compare to one another? Because I've used the grip a little. They don't. Yeah, that's what I figured. I used the grip. A I mean, little. the grip. The grip is great. Yeah, it, it works fine enough. But the is thing it too is, cramped. Is it too? No, I mean the. It's kind of light. It's funny. Like when I first tried the grip, um, before it came out, like it felt, it felt fine. Yeah. But then you tried the pro controller, you're like, well, this feels amazing. Yeah. But then later on, I for some reason, I guess memory made the grip feel like. Well, I remember it feeling not as great. I remember it felt tiny. It felt. Like, there wasn't enough grip on the back. But yeah. then when I ah. tried the grip again, post-launch, um, it felt perfectly fine again. Like, it's actually... I don't know. It has enough grip. I have I the feel exact... Like the, 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 only, the only thing is, um, if you're playing with the Pro Controller for extensive... For a long period of time, you're going to be used to the the analog stick, which is a little longer, and the distance between the edges is definitely a lot bigger, versus the one that uses the Joy-Cons, which is way tinier. I mean, as you're playing, you won't really notice it much once you get used to it, but it's definitely... An, there's, a, there's an adjustment period. There definitely is. That's something I noticed with Bomberman is I was overshooting, rounding corners in Bomberman because I'm used to a normal-sized joystick, and these are admittedly smaller, so on the grip or as individual Joy-Cons. So, like, I would go to the right, and I'd be like, oh, that's a normal amount for walking speed, but I'd, like, shoot all the way over because I'd be running as Bomberman. It's funny, cause it's so still... it took a day to adjust, yeah. but... It's not bad. But yeah, the grip, I had the exact same train of thought. So when we tried it before launch, we had the grip, and it definitely felt almost not top-heavy, but like the grips in the back and obviously before the top of the thing. For anyone that has a, a switch, they know what I'm talking about. And that felt weird. Like I kept wanting to rest my fingers where shoulder buttons should be, but they're not there because they're up on the front of the grip. But then I was playing Bomberman with it because I was like, I should try the grip, be able to talk about it here on the show. So I was playing Bomberman with it for a while, like in kickstand mode. And I was like, this is actually fine. Like, I, I don't know if when I use shoulder buttons, that's going to change my opinion. But as of now, it's perfectly fine. And also, I just want to let everyone know, out of nowhere in the middle of that sentence, the taste came back to my mouth. And I'm not sure why. And it's kind of weird. Huh. Like, literally, I don't know. I think I, like, breathe differently or my saliva moved around or something. But it just came back, like, almost full. I don't know what to say about So, that. I just thought I'd share. Uh, <laughs> but, are you about to lick it again? No, oh, that's <laughs> not the cartridge. Never mind. Um... But yeah, so so you'd say Pro Controller is yeah, the way Pro go. Controller is definitely the best one. It was super comfy. Yeah, best one, then the Joy-Con. Actually, I think I prefer um, the Joy-Con separately, like dual-wielding them, mm. and then the Joy-Con grip, and then, well, I guess <laughs> obviously the Joy-Con by itself. Right. The but... the the Pro Controller I got to try at the Switch Tour today. Um, I don't have one. I Again, I don't think I can say enough. I have yet to start Zelda. but uh, So I haven't had a reason to play with a Pro or even own a Pro. But I did get to use it for Fast uh, Remix 
which was weird. You'd think they'd be showing off HD Rumble, but no. But I gotta use it for, I mean, I guess the Pro Controller has it, but not really. I used it for a Fast Remix. I used it um, here. I was messing with, or was it here that I messed with it a little? No, it wasn't here. It was when we tried it the other. Definitely wasn't here. Yeah, it was when we tried it before launch. Um, either way, it is very comfortable. I just haven't actually played a game with it beyond three races of Fast. So, yeah, that's why I turned to you. So it seems like, oh, by the way, did you know about the little Easter egg in the top of yeah. the, the Pro Controller where it says, uh, thanks to all game fans in the like upper lip of the right stick? Mm-hmm. Kind of cool touch. Uh, anyway, so that's all. It sounds like for the most part, I think we're in agreement. They nailed most of the hardware, like yeah, I mean, 95% of it. Yeah, I mean, all the controllers are great, but you're, they're just slightly different degrees of yeah. greatness. Now, the problem is, as great as things are, Nintendo is uh, known for having issues at launch. And since it's a Nintendo product, that means there are issues. So it's kind of, I feel like whenever we buy a system at launch, it's like joining a beta program that we didn't necessarily sign up for, but that we're in because we bought the system day one. And in the Switch's case, uh, the beta is kind of bad because the two hardware issues that do exist are rather large. And I feel like we should probably talk about them. I'm actually really curious if you've had the first one, which is Joy-Con connectivity issues. None. Really? Yep. Well, although you are like two feet from here. That is not two feet. You're right. More. That's like a little... It's somewhere like between six. seven and eight feet. But, yeah, no issues. I've played... Um, I've, honestly, I've honestly even forgotten about the issues. As I was playing, and we had the Joy-Con on our side. We never really covered them. And we have a nice um, line of sight to the Switch console. So, I mean, I feel like this is relative distance to how far someone is from their TV. Yeah. If you're any further than... That kind of sucks because, I mean, I fear that's where the issues start to crop up. But as far as connectivity issues, I have not experienced any whatsoever. Now, to loop people in that don't necessarily know the full story of the connectivity thing. Now, I haven't. When I played with the controller grip a foot away from the kickstand, it worked fine in case anyone needed to know. But, um, no, when I – it is kind of – for those that don't know, basically what's going on is the media discovered with their press units. And it turned out that real people discovered with their real units this weekend – that um, Joy-Con connections will drop for a second or two while using them, primarily the left Joy-Con. And the leading theory is that it's tied to the type of Bluetooth that Nintendo used, which is an older variant. And the problem with all Bluetooth, specifically the older ones, is water. Water will mess with your signal and cause it... It kind of gets caught in the water and can't transpond as far when it has to cut through water. And since bodies are mostly made of water, and unlike your cell phone, you're completely wrapping your hand around a Joy-Con... Hmm you are in theory blocking the signal with yourself so that's the issue and what's surprising to me is that nintendo has not really addressed it in a very meaningful way yet they originally only said they were looking into reports and they have since updated a support page on support.nintendo.com that outlines how to maximize your joy-con connection and it includes great tips like moving the system closer and keeping it separated from bundles of wires and my favorite not putting it in or near an aquarium now, they mean fish tank, but when you say aquarium, I'm picturing like, oh, let me go play the Switch under a giant whale or something, but no, they say don't do that. So you can't take it to the Aquarium of the Pacific? No, you cannot. Uh, for all those LA fans, they know what we're talking about. But um, then it gets absurd. The list gets crazy after that, because those are reasonable. Oh, yeah, sit closer, keep away from wires, don't have it in a fish tank. That makes sense. But it gets crazy when you start seeing what else they suggest. For example, keep it away from metal objects. Pretty sure a TV has metal in it. Uh, keep it away from USB 3 devices. It has a USB 3 port that will support USB 3 hard drives in the future. How do you keep it away from that if it's connected to it? And my ultimate favorite, keep it away from wireless devices like cell phones and tablets. Okay, (laughs) 
Those are the exact devices you're going to use to voice chat because they're not playing voice chat on the console. So how do you keep it away from the thing that you're voice chatting with while you're playing your game if it needs to be... You obviously have to leave the room, talk to your friends, I and then guess. come back in. How's that? Do you, like, play room? Do you... I don't even know how that would work. Like, BRB, I'm going to go play you now. I'll be right back. <laughs> like, it doesn't... Like, I think they're obviously just doing a blanket statement with all this, but, like, why would you even suggest don't use it near a cell phone if the cell phone is literally what you're simultaneously suggesting people use for online? It just doesn't make sense. It's almost... It's not quite the level of this, but it's almost as bad as when Apple during AntennaGate with iPhone 4 was like, oh, it's not us. All of you are holding your phone wrong. It's like, no, it's you. <laughs> like, this is a very similar thing, so... I don't know. I it sounds like it might be overblown, much like the taste of the cartridge. Um, yeah. Based on what you were saying, but I again haven't been able to try it myself. But I'm hoping it's overblown. That'd be nice. Yeah. Also, I mean, because I haven't that issue hasn't really popped up on my Twitter feed, and I feel like almost everybody on my Twitter feed bought a Switch. Yeah. Yeah. Same. It, it's definitely been more of a like pre-Switch issue with the journalist because obviously like once one does it the other one tries to replicate yeah. it they acknowledge it's there but under normal play i don't know it doesn't really seem to pop up often and i mean frankly if it does become an issue they don't nintendo only really has two options they either push a software update that if possible boosts the bluetooth signal which probably means lessening the battery life but you know does anyone need 20 hours on joy con they probably get by with 16 i can't imagine anyone 20 hour marathoning even zelda you have to like leave the room at some point you could probably just slide in handheld mode and do it that exactly, way exactly yeah yeah um so that's option one i think the option option two is probably down the road the count with an improved joy con they're screwing over us early beta testers if they do that so i imagine they'd either send us joy con replacements do a recall maybe give us eShop credit which is not quite as good as the other options but like nintendo has options to rectify this so if it starts ramping up if we start hearing more reports once the initial zelda like hype wave dies down and people are actually frustrated i feel like it's an easy enough fix now, the one that's possibly a little harder to fix is uh, doesn't interfere with gameplay whatsoever, but it is a very weird oversight, and that is the fact that the Switch has a plastic screen, and when you dock the Switch, the dock is hard plastic inside, meaning you can scratch your screen just by docking the Switch as you're supposed to, in theory. I mean, albeit you have to place it in the dock uh, kind of carelessly, because I feel like every time I put it in, I mean, naturally, like, I just want to, like, kind of stick it towards the back, and you just let it ride down the back, and it just falls in nice and, it's nice but, and smoothly. But, I mean, Nintendo can't but, no, I know, I know, I know. Expect. I know, they can't expect people to do everything correctly every single time, because you might have kids, you might just be careless one time when you come home, you just want to put stick it in with one hand, and you're like, oh, I scratched it. Because, I mean, yeah, like, the, it, it could hit the front of the screen, and I guess where the corners are, it would definitely hit the black part on the edge, the outer edge, where I guess the screen isn't part of, but it would leave a nasty blemish. Yeah, and like, so the site that originally reported this was Glixel, um, which is such a fun name to say. Almost up there with snipper clips. And uh, they were saying that they would just put it in, and what would sometimes happen, which I've had happen with mine when I was trying to make my dock work, is, uh, yeah, I'm going to keep harping on this for two full hours. I'm sorry, everyone. Is... Uh, they put it in, and it's just like, oh, I put it a little too far to the right or a little too far to the left, so they'd shift it, and then the scratch would happen. So I mm. guess in that situation, like, here's, here's I've done exact... that Because I've done that before where, like, I put it in, but, I mean, well, I guess because of the color one, it's really easy to tell, like, all right, I just have to make sure I line up the yeah. edge of the, the turquoise with if you green. Gen- yeah. 
But when I shift it over to the side, I don't move it forward any. It just shifts it to the side. Here's a quote. If you gently slide in and, quote, miss the USB-C prong, juggling the device into the slot even carefully eventually scrapes against the hardened sides of the dock. That's what they had as their experience. Mm. Um, now, I don't understand. This is such... Well, first of all, in an ideal world, they would just have used Gorilla Glass for the screen. But I understand Nintendo is cost-efficient. They're a traditional Japanese com- company. They want to turn a profit on this thing. Gorilla get- Glass is pricey. But I don't get how this specific issue got past Nintendo QA, got past lock check, got past like random inspections of merchandise. Like this seems like such an easy thing. Just put rubber inside instead of plastic. Yeah. Like it's not going to even cost that much. Like I don't understand how this happened. But but you know besides that, besides the maybe Joy-Con issue that you haven't experienced, and it sounds like maybe people aren't experiencing as much as everyone feared. This is a pretty sound hardware thing for Nintendo. Like they built good hardware. This is. It's sturdy. It works as advertised. It is a very solid Nintendo product. It doesn't have weird, creaky plastic like the gamepad. Like, if you pick up the gamepad now, like the Wii gamepad, man, does it feel Fisher-Price. Man, does it feel, like, really fat. And granted, it maybe is more ergonomic in some ways. It's very comfy. It is comfy. Definitely comfy. But you can definitely flex it and it will creak. Well, at the Switch, if you try and do anything to it, it just is like, no, I'm a solid device. So, also, it's probably more fragile, the Switch, now that I think about it, because it doesn't have a give. So for a company like Nintendo that aims at kids a lot, that could be an issue in the future. But for now, it's great. And it's a really, really solid device. So um, that's the hardware side. I feel like on the software side, hmm. I feel like I have fewer complaints on the software side. Maybe like it's because we knew the limitations going into it, but it's pretty much exactly as delivered because we kind of knew what to expect. In fact, I think there's actually more to it than we initially expected. Like, for example... Remember last episode I went on that whole rant about like my Nintendo not tracking digital purchases and how that maybe cost me going to the Switch preview tour and I was all annoyed about that. Uh-huh. My first world problem. Well, lo and behold, turns out with cartridges on the uh, Switch, if you press plus when you're selecting that icon on your home screen, it opens a menu that lets you claim my Nintendo coins for your cartridge. First of all, the fact that they finally integrated their reward program into the console itself is pretty cool. But um, second... There's my problem resolved. Now, granted, you get fewer coins because they want the higher margin from the digital download sales, so they're not gonna, you know, they're not going to give you exact value. They should in an ideal world, but I get why they're not. But for me, just being able to track all this stuff to Nintendo, I mean, like, look, I still support you a ton, is um, kind of nice. It's like they heard my complaint last episode and then rushed it into the <laughs> day one update, and here we are. But on that that same menu actually has another neat feature that I don't think I've seen Nintendo do before. Where you can locally share a game update. It's like if I come over and I haven't had Wi-Fi for two weeks at my house for whatever reason, you have, let's say, Splatoon down the road, and there's a new weapon update, you can beam that to my Switch if you have it saved on yours. Hmm, Which is kind of, it's kind of a cool feature. It's like, because they're encouraging, obviously, local multiplayer a lot with the that's Switch. That's true. And it's, so, yeah, and I remember that issue coming up a lot in Smash Brothers, where yeah. on the 3DS version, like, we would have a bunch of people, and then... Yeah, one of like two or three of them wouldn't have the update, which means they couldn't play multiplayer with us. Which means it's like, well, we can't really do anything because we don't have Wi-Fi. So yeah, and see, this is another example. Yeah. It's a minor thing, but this is another example. That would have been like, an amazing feature, right? Yeah, and this this is another example of that whole idea of like Nintendo has like a weird level, or not a weird, but like a certain level of like confidence with this product versus like Wii U, where you could find all sorts of loopholes of odd behavior on Wii U. And granted, Switch has them too, but like they thought through the vision of this console so much, like oh. We're encouraging multiplayer. Oh, we're encouraging local mo- local multiplayer for a very internet-connected device. Well, if you don't have internet, well, here's a workaround. I feel like Wii U, they didn't have workarounds or things. They're just like, well, yeah. Like the gamepad. Remember when we were supposed to be able to buy multiple gamepads? And then they just never did it. Yeah. Yeah, like, 
yeah they, they that was an idea that if they really had this cohesive vision of what the wii was supposed to be from the start and they knew it involved multiple gamepads we would have had multiple gamepads the fact that they were wishy-washy makes me think they didn't even know what they wanted this though like we want a multiplayer device so we're gonna make it multiplayer we're gonna make multiplayer work in any scenario internet or not so we're adding that menu option it's a small thing but it's these little things that add up to make this whole product feel more you know thought out another unexpected surprise actually in the ui or in the software is there is in fact a web browser there's a legit web browser it's just hidden and missing ui and doesn't have an address bar but it's there it's there if you link your social media account if you make a payment on the eShop. Even games have the ability to open the web browser. Like, I don't know if you saw in Bomberman, there, if you go to options, there's an online manual, and if you press it, it opens a web page of a manual. Now, that sucks in 10 years when you're like, I'm going to revisit Bomberman, but I forgot how to play, and the manual's taken offline. I don't know why I don't just hard code into the game. But this browser thing is accessible from any part of the Switch, it sounds like. And The Verge actually discovered that in the case of social media linking, you can click on other parts of Facebook or Twitter mainly Facebook, and actually load other web pages. And when you do that, your left stick gets a little blue um, mouse icon that you can move around. Your right stick gets a zoom in, zoom out function. You can actually navigate the page. Any link you click that stays within that window can load. If you try and get a link that opens a new window, it will basically say, I don't know what to do with this and stop working. But it has a fully functional current HTML5 compliant browser hmm. in there somewhere. So it seems like it's maybe just they didn't have time to finish it for launch or something, but it's definitely there. I don't know why they wouldn't have one. The right, yeah, it, I don't know. The browser would definitely be handy. I mean, we used it a few times on the Switch. Whenever you mean the Wii U on, on the Switch, yeah, <laughs> on the Wii U. It's funny because I remember the browser being better for YouTube than the YouTube app itself. Oh yeah, the YouTube app was really slow, and I feel like that's true even with in some ways with the iOS YouTube app. Actually, I sometimes prefer just doing it on the website. Yeah, it's funny because you get skip ads more often that way. And also, if you do it on the website, you can actually have your screen on. You can actually have your phone in sleep mode and still have the, mm -hmm. the video playing as opposed to the app. That they haven't put YouTube Red locking yeah. in yet. Um, but yeah, so besides the uh, the pseudo browser and the pleasant surprise of my Nintendo and whatnot, I think it's safe to say this interface is kind of what we expected, right? Like, even all the online interface leaks that we covered last episode, spot on. They all were, I mean, of course they were, it's from a developer document, but it's exactly how we imagined. I, I will say, while I, as I said last episode, I still feel this way. While it is a very sleek browser and feels very, or not browser interface, and it feels very modern, I didn't expect to slightly miss all that old Nintendo personality. Now, granted, I don't need you got bird chirps. I know, I got that. Like, I love that when you go into your page profile thing, it does that, doo -doo, or I can't remember what it is, like pop 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 or whatever. Maybe the bird chirps are yeah. There like it is, yeah. Like, that's nice. Or, like, if you go into the Nintendo News section, which, by the way, is really well done. I really like the Nintendo News section. It's a little cluttered looking, but, like, the fact that they can just pump out everything like that so cleanly is really nice. But you go in there, and, like, the system tips are from someone named Amelia, who actually has personality and leaves little notes at the bottom and stuff. That feels very Nintendo. That reminds me of, like, Maria O and Mario Maker or Nikki of Swap Note and whatnot. So it's kind of cool that there's, like, still hints of Nintendo. I just wish maybe... Maybe the eShop would have some music I know. I or hope something. They, I hope they roll out themes faster than, yes. than they did with the 3DS. And I also hope they get to, I guess, showing either folders or multiple rows. Because right now, you only get one row of games. Oh, and, and what's interesting about that... And, and to put them in order from most used to least used. Yeah. But, yeah, like I know by the end of April, maybe May, I'm going to have more games than that row clear, currently has. So, 
I don't want it to just get longer because that's going to get annoying. I hope they... Especially because it changes order every time. You exactly, play. yeah. You know what's interesting about that, though? That row of icons? Did you notice... Well, you only have one cartridge, so no. It, well, I guess you would. It lingers the icon there. If I take out Bomb... I have Barman and Zelda on a cartridge. Put both of them in, the icons are added. Take one out, the icon does not go away. It stays permanently. All it does is, so if you scroll between them, so it's always, in my so case, Zelda Barman. So does that put the cartridge put, or something? It has, above, you know how it has the little ticker with the name? Uh-huh. So it will have a filled-in cartridge icon when the cartridge is in the system, and it will have a silhouette of a cartridge, or like not a silhouette, an outline of a cartridge when it's not in the system. And if that isn't a play to get you to start doing digital downloads, I don't know what is. Because, like, you're basically like, oh, cool, I can play Barman. And it's like, but you don't have Barman. This is why you should download. Tisk tisk. Like, that's the undertone of it. They're ba- it's basically like if you had an iPhone and you have all your apps and then you go to one app and you press it because you maybe forget that, oh, right, this requires me to connect a lightning cable to play it or something or to use it. Like, it's that kind of – they're trying to get you to go digital. They're like nudging you in that direction. It's, I kind of like it because it shows your whole library, but it's also a very blatant like, hey, want to avoid this issue? eShop's right there, little orange shopping icon. So mm. it's kind of funny. The the only potential bother – potentially bothersome thing – for me, at least, currently with the interface. Although even less than I thought it would be is friend codes are back. And the internet collect- collectively freaked out the day before the Switch launch about these friend codes returning. And then everyone realized it's actually not horrible. Um, they're kind of a last resort option. Nintendo finally brought together all the mo- Nintendo accounts from all the different apps. Mario, uh, Mario Run and... Fire Emblem and Mitomo, and there's a list of suggested friends that shows you exactly which app they're from with the app icon. It's really slick, and even when you friend them, will tell you you friended because your friends on Mitomo or whatever, like on their profile permanently. But they don't yet have social media based, so you can't do it based on Facebook or Twitter. They don't yet have Nintendo Network ID friend list imported, which is going to be something they're adding. So you're kind of stuck if you don't have these mobile apps or you don't have all your friends in these mobile apps. You're kind of stuck going the 12-digit friend code route, which is better you only have to send it one direction now and then the other person gets a normal invite but still that's kind of not ideal it's not horrible but it's definitely like a little bit of a hassle it'd be nice if the username they used the nintendo network id yeah and they had if you go to my nintendo or the mine yeah mine or account.nintendo.com you can add a username so I'm not quite sure what that username's for besides login if it's not to find people. But I'm sure it's just like Steam where you have your true username and then your other one is just whatever appears on screen when you're playing. Yeah, and you can change that willy-nilly, yeah. yeah. And it kind of – but the fact that like we only have half the friending options, the fact that we don't have folders, the fact that there's a pseudo-browser, the fact that all this stuff is kind of frankly half-baked in some regards does beg the question, was the Switch launch somehow even – three months after it was rumored to be coming out, somehow rushed? Like, are we playing a console that wasn't quite ready? Because, like, if you compare well, that... Clearly. Well, no, no, but I mean, like, how is that... Because, I mean, think about it. We don't have a full online service. That's not even until fall. We don't have a virtual console, which used to be a staple of the well, eShop I mean, for the last three systems. It's... What happened? Well, I mean, is it fair to say that this was just... I mean, obviously, this was the next console that the nintendo was working on when the wii u was still a thing Mm -hmm. and just going by normal console rotations like they probably expected the wii to last a little longer and they were probably going to release this one in 2018 maybe late or mid 2018 but but because the wii u did so bad or maybe they just had to like push it out and just get the wii u out of there as soon as possible they're like oh well now we have to rush our thing that we had planned until a little while 
But here, here's where I get thrown off by that. I mean, you're right, but also Kimishima, Tatsumi Kimishima, Nintendo's global president, said on record, the Switch is ready, we're waiting for games, basically, was the gist of it. I forgot the exact wording, but that was the takeaway. It wasn't ready. Why would he say that? Except, I guess, to assure him. I mean, it, it works, and it plays them. So I mean, it is ready on that level. But, like, yeah. they announced the, D, the DNA partnership to do the back end of this, like, a year and a half ago, two years ago. Iwata, when he first talked about the NX, one of the very first things he talked about was cloud saves, something we still don't have. Like, how have they been working on this for three years, and we don't have media apps? We don't have, even though the system menu alludes to them. And like I said, we don't have virtual console. We don't have all the friending options, even though that's DNA's one job. It just, it strikes me as weird. It's not necessarily... I know. A surprise? It, it does make it a harder <laughs> sell for people that are on the fence or people that don't necessarily care about the video game aspect. And it, it almost also feels like even with the fact I mean, that it's half baked, make it a Roku that also plays Nintendo games, but it yeah, like be it, that, yeah. it just give Netflix access to these SDK before it comes out. That's not that hard, or the APIs or whatever they need. But it, it's funny because it's like twofold. Because on the one hand, you could tell it's rushed because of that. But on the other hand, well, not really twofold. That's the wrong word. But also with the games, you saw it happen. Like, this launch was coming in hot, for lack of a better term. I mean, seven days before the Switch is officially out on stores, Nintendo's casually like, oh yeah, Fast re- Remix and Shovel Knight, both versions of Shovel Knight, will be there day one. Then the day after that, so now six days before launch, like, oh, and Snipper Clips, we're going to make that day one too, because why not? Then on the flip side, that's all happening, and then you got other games, like the uh, Tomorrow Corp trio of games, missing from launch, Binding of Isaac Afterbirth Plus, delayed, even though the cartridges are ready, I think. So it's kind of like... What what happened here? That was it. Really, were they cutting it that close that they couldn't get all the soft? I mean, I guess they were that they couldn't get all the software. They couldn't get all the um, games. Some games have to be ready in just in time, literally in the nick of time, for them to basically do a lot check and push them out. Like it's strange. It's it's interesting because I mean, granted, some of this isn't Nintendo's doing. I don't think Tomorrow Corp games are Nintendo's fault. I don't think the, the fact that. Binary of Isaac is getting delayed so they can add a color instruction manual is Nintendo's fault. But for a decade game console, we never have seen launch titles announced days in advance. We've never seen things like how the Nindy showcase revealed that, oh, in a week, Blaster Master Zero, a game you haven't heard anything about for six months, next week it's out on March 9th, so go get it. Or like, oh, hey, you want to play Pocket Rumble, a game you didn't even know is coming to Switch? You can in two weeks. Or, you know, like, Mr. Shifty, uh, Shakedown Hawaii, Graceful Explosion Machine. All those are just suddenly coming out in April, even though they weren't even, like, a thing on the Switch. So you have this weird thing where, on the one hand, because it's so modern, stuff can get delayed really easily. But on the other hand, because it's so modern, stuff can happen really quickly, like all the games. So the software sucks, but the games are great, and it's all the same underlying thing, which is that we now have a system that is built around the idea of downloads, which is the first for Nintendo. Hmm. At least that's my take on it. But it's 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 kind of like how iOS and Android do things. They let they will push a game out to those app stores with a much shorter hype cycle, and then they just kind of rely on word of mouth. And that seems to be the indie strategy. It seems to be what Nintendo's doing with indies. But at the same time, it makes it almost feel like the Switch is like sort of being tossed together at the last second in terms of software because you don't really know when any of these things are happening. You don't know why things are missing. You don't know when things will be added. The fact that for a day, people legitimately thought you had to use a friend code, even though there are four other options that suddenly were working. Like that, you know, stuff like that, it should be more clear-cut. But I guess that's when you're running it this close to the deadline, I guess that's what happens. Hmm. So, I don't know. I, really, I don't know if I even really had a point with all that. It's just kind of observations that I just rattled off. But, but yeah, I think overall, minus those things, uh, it's really a great little system. 
It is. Yeah. I really like it. We can get by without a browser for now. We can get by without media apps for now. We can even get by without full friending, but it's it's a cool little system. It does, however, all this does definitely reinforce the idea that if you are buying a Switch day one, if you're buying a Switch or any Nintendo product within the first, like, quarter or two of its release, you are signing up for a beta, and you just need to accept that. Yeah. More so in software. I mean, how long was it until we got the new 3DS? Which was definitely, like, I mean, the, the new 3DS is great, but that's definitely, like, the... That was the ultimate vision of the 3DS. The new 3DS came out with Majora's Mask, like... Well, keep in mind, well, no, first there was the XL, which fixed many of the issues, but then made it bigger. Then the new 3DS... I know, that's what I'm just talking yeah, about, the new yeah, 3DS. It, it took a while. I mean, I guess... It took, like, four years. Well, I mean, I guess you could say... I mean, did the new 3DS and new 3DS XL come on the same day? Um, In Japan, but not in America. No, I know, well, in general, just like... Yeah, yeah, they did. I mean, yeah, they how, came out in Canada. I was it, like, two, three years? Uh, I want to say 2015 that late i don't remember when the three four years four years oh wow yeah so yeah it's interesting because the 3ds if you recall had a lot of similar situations to what the switch is growing like the growing pain that the switch now has because it had a screen scratching issue with the clamshell design it had half-baked software oh, yeah. we didn't get the eShop for three months thing, yeah. we get the eShop for three months so if you look at the switch compared to 3ds it mirrors that rollout very closely hmm. Well, makes sense with the Mario at Holiday season, right? Yeah, yeah, because they're doing that too. And even not just Mario at Holiday for both of them, but they also have Zelda within the first few months for both of them. Ocarina time came out that early? O- Ocarina came out, or Ocarina, take your pick, came out in uh, June of Ocarina. 2011. So the system came out in March, about three no, months. No, 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 so- it's Ocarina. Ocarina of time, you're right. Uh, uh, the system came out like March 24th or something, the 3DS, and then they kind of slow roll into the holidays, but they had to do the $8 price drop and all that, while the Switch came out start of march and is rolling into the holidays with almost the same like zelda mario it's a lot of people online have had this theory that well, rocky start but it was still a success so why yeah, not yeah replicate but it's just like, their last success well i think what they basically did was they learned from the mistakes of the last one like oh there's no e-shop okay let's add an e-shop oh it was maybe not priced well okay let's price the switch what we think is correct but the stuff that worked like having mario and zelda and all that right off the bat they mimicked and a lot of people are saying like there's been this thing going around on the internet that maybe the switch is a soft launch like maybe the idea is nintendo's really just trying to put it out there for now and then build up to the holidays which is kind of how the 3ds succeeded it was a slow burn and build up to the holidays and i don't know if i'd call it a full-on soft launch because like the soft launch is like when you have like a bagel store or something and you tell your friends hey come on down we're open a week just an example and we're we're open a week early and we watch test our payment system so come out we'll get we'll give you a bagel what the Switch did was a Super Bowl ad. <laughs> Sorry, is this a no, no, no. The, random no it is, but what the Switch—I had bagels for lunch yesterday. What the Switch okay. did is a Super Bowl ad. That's the equivalent of the bagel store being like, "Let us put a giant banner on an airplane and fly it over everyone and call it a soft launch." Thanks. You're welcome. But yeah, so I don't think it's a fair, like I don't think it's a soft launch in the traditional sense. But they are definitely taking advantage of the fact that they have us early adopters that will buy the beta hardware, so to speak, and then just use it and get used to it and roll with it. Because quite frankly. The people that are going to buy systems day one are us. The tech enthusiasts, the gamers, we'll put up with things like missing friend or friend options. We'll put up with things like a pseudo browser. We'll put up with a slow roll of games. But then when the holidays come around, they're appealing to the mass consumer, the moms, the dads, the kids, all that, more so than they are now. And in that situation, they want to be able to say this system has Mario Kart, Splatoon, uh, Mario, Zelda, all of that like at once. Like That's a bigger selling point. So for us, they can kind of piecemeal it and figure out the kinks like they did with the 3ds and then roll everything into the more broad but i wouldn't call it a soft launch putting it out in the super bowl is not a soft launch but yeah i think they are mirroring 
some of that um, 3DS flow, so to speak, like release flow and and update flow with the Switch. They're trying to address the things they thought were major issues then, now. So, like then we had a web browser, I think, on the 3DS, but we didn't have this eShop. Now we have an eShop. Now. Or no, the web browser launched with the eShop. I take that back. Also in June. But Wow, really was yeah. that long? It, well, it was only three months, but yeah. yeah. So that's yeah. kind of where, I guess that's kind of where it switches as. It's sort of mirroring the 3DS, but it is a really cool system. I can't stress that enough. And we've talked a lot about the hard, a lot about the hardware, but now let's switch gears and talk about the software a bit. Um, I think we'll cover the three biggies of the launch this episode. The biggies that aren't Zelda. We have One Two Switch, we have Super Bomberman R, and we have Snipper Clips. And as I was saying at the top of the show, uh, Zelda is literally too massive for us to have played enough of it that I feel like we're at the point where we can talk about it. In fact, as I've also said throughout the show, I have yet to play it because of my dock situation. So. Um, we're saving that for next time. That was always the plan. It just worked out nicely. But for now, the question becomes, if you have the big, deep Zelda game, what's some three maybe lighter fare tiles worth looking at, and should you get them? And these are three we're talking about. So I guess we could start with 1-2-Switch, as that was literally our introduction to the Switch as we know it. Um, like our first playthrough, I mean. So what was your... Like, we flip, we have waffled on this game so much over the year or over the months, not years, We've waffled so much over the months, and the idea of, like, is it just tech demos? Is there more to it? Is it worth playing? Is it not worth playing? Is it worth $50? Should it be a pack-in? We've tried, what, two-thirds? Half? Uh, half? All of them? Oh, oh, you have, yeah. I've <laughs> tried about half of the games. You've tried all of them. Where does it rate for you? Uh, well, as you said, it keeps waffling. Even, it, even it, it, wait, 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 is that what you were saying? That's waffling? what I was saying. It keeps waffling over if it's worth it or not. Yeah. You, wait, you, you still aren't sure, and you own it. <laughs> Well, I'm still... Okay, fine. I'm sure, but I went from, like... Uh, when there was first announced, I was like, ugh, this doesn't seem worth it. It should have yep. been a pack-in. To... They announced the, they announced the more games, and, like... There's it, a car outside, if anyone's wondering. It's not you getting a crash, listeners. It's a car outside our recording. Continue, sorry. Oh, I'm glad they know that now. That's not to explain why it's... So they announced a few more games and a few features, and it's like, oh, all right, this seems pretty worth it. It seems like it could actually be a media experience. The battle mode, for example, yeah. where you play on a board game, which is really cool. You play on a board game, you have teams, you get to do larger groups. Yeah. In theory, and then fun. we played it, and I mean, initially played it, and I was like, "All right, this is cool." Like, I mean, like it has some cool mini games, but like that was literally it. And then it was like, "All right, this game is definitely not worth fifty bucks." Well, here's the problem. And then right. I have it, and I play all of them, and it's like, "Yeah, I would." If it wasn't for the fact that I needed multiplayer games, and like I have, I just, I mean, I just get these games on day one anyway. Um, I would have definitely would have preferred to wait for this game to be on sale. I it does not feel like a fifty dollar game. I don't think it's worth the fifty dollars at all. It feels more like a, I don't know, nine and twenty. Yeah, like it's a, like a fifteen dollar eShop. Yeah, game, it's like if fi- even. Yeah, because even yeah, like twenty feels too generous. Like it's so bare bones. Like you compare it to any other fifty dollar game that I don't know. It just it, it it's Hard. just not worth. It's part, not worth the price. Part I mean, of the, it's a great game, but it's not worth the price. Part of the bare's bo- bare boneness is by, I don't want to say by design, but due to the design. You can't do 28 mini games like this. You can't have Raising Flags and then Quick Draw and then a Gorilla one, which feels straight out of Rhythm Heaven. Like, it feels like it belongs in Rhythm Heaven where you're pounding your chest with a Joy-Con and rolling dice. Oh, no, you dice. can't pound your chest because then the, we, the Switch will scold you to not pound your chest. Yeah, you're supposed to just hover it. Yeah. But, uh, and, you, you know, you can't have that. And then, like, one where literally the task is turn the controller around until a preset angle. Like, you can't have that and then expect there to be depth to it, which is Nintendo's fault here because 
those things are very simple. There are only so many times you can go fire and lift your hand up and press a button before it gets old. There are only so many times that you can rotate a controller to the right angle or crack a safe. Some of them are worth going back to. Some of them have a little more depth. But the problem is all these get old after five minutes. See, but that's Once the you thing, do like, it, you've done it. See, like they should have taken um, like a Mario Party approach or something where you yes. have like your Mii avatars or something playing some sort of board game outside of this. And then these are your mini games or these are some sort of set activities. But like, I mean, I'm not even saying like... There's no structure, basically. Yeah, like it's so bare bones that you it doesn't even have stat tracking it doesn't tell you how many times you've played each mini game it doesn't it, it does keep a record of top score though but it doesn't tell you who got that yeah it's just there and one missed opportunity to use the fact that there's an account system on the switch to if you share a switch with multiple people let them log into their accounts and have yeah. that integrate in some way but yeah it's it's weird because like like the mini games could work if they're part yeah, of a bigger it, it, picture it just but feels they like can't a, be the picture yeah it's I don't even want to say like it feels like a tech demo because it it is. it is just a tech demo. And I got I mean I want to give Nintendo credit. There's a lot that was going right with One Two Switch in concept. The I find the idea of not looking at the TV and looking at the other person and doing stuff like that I find that kind of fascinating. You don't see very many games do that. Like I, I don't think spin see the any bo- games spin the bottle Bumpy's party on the Wii oh, yeah. U was probably the closest to that, and that was, but that one was more like trying to get people out of their comfort zone. This one's more just like awkward, funny. Like that one was like basically kiss each other but don't because there's a wii mode in between you but like this one's more like you keep your distance but you know things like the virtual cow milking or um which is actually kind of cool i'm so a little disclosure i'm really good at virtual cow milking and i that's my one game i'm good at in one two switch and i'm proud of that fact and i will vouch for virtual cow milking till the day i die simply because it's the one i'm good at but it is actually kind of fun and some of them do use the controller well like virtual cow milking you do like this drumming motion on controller while moving it up and down and it Kind of like the HD rumble sort of accelerates as it goes down and gets like bigger feelings. So it really feels like you're like squaring milk out, which is I'm sure a sensation we've all experienced. I don't know. But um, like there are cool things in there. It's just when you have that and then the next mini game is literally like don't move, which you can also do by just putting the Joy-Con down next to you and walking away. Um, yeah, but I mean – I know. That's yeah. not the fun of it. But I'm saying like – well, I was going to say, like, you don't have to do the actual post, but, I mean, the challenge of it is obviously who can keep still. Because yeah. That if is Nintendo actually... include all the hats that they had at Treehouse Live and that they had at the Switch Tour for 1-2-Switch, if they include those with a the one game... 1-2-Switch Collector's Edition? Yeah, if it was a Collector's Edition, it came with a Viking hat and a cow hat and a cowboy hat and all that. I'm not even kidding. It would make this a little better because at least then you got a weird drinking game out of this. Now, granted, this could be fun for a drinking game, but I can't see how it would be fun beyond just one or yeah, two times. It's literally something that you take out every time you want to... Anytime someone that hasn't played this game before, you'll gladly run through basically all the mini games, and everyone will have fun seeing that person experience them for the first time. Yeah. But other than that, it's going to be the game that you'll bring out once in a while. I mean, as a drinking game. And even then, not really, because here's the other problem with One Two Switch. I was thinking about. Really? Because is... when I was playing with um four people, we were actually still having a no. It's, it's well, it. well, it's fun. Okay, I should back up. It's fun with the right group of people. You have to have the right group of friends that will get super into it and be wacky about well, it. I guess I'm... Which we yeah. do. We yeah. have a group that's super close-knit, and we will we have no shame, and we'll do whatever. But if, if like, Nintendo's saying this is like an icebreaker game. Like, Bill Trennan, I think, was on literally, like, uh, IGN's Nintendo podcast. and was saying, like, the idea is, like, you bring this to a party as an icebreaker. It's like, no. You don't really know people well enough that you're going to have fun with that. And the problem is, what you're having fun with is not because there's no screen element. What you're having fun with is not is watching your friends do it. It's not watching the game. Because if you watch the game directly, there's nothing going on because Nintendo went bare bones. The videos are funny. They're going to feel super dated in like eight years. But right now they're pretty funny, all the video instructions and everything. And the game is like, I like that style, like the the way they're doing the pastel colors. Like each one, each game has its own like color and everything for the videos. And it's all like 
very 1950s. But the problem is when you're playing the game, you have nothing to watch. If you're a person and you're not best friend, if I'm watching you play and we weren't good friends, I'd be like, okay, I'm just watching a guy flail. Like, the, there's no interact, there's nothing going on on the screen that makes it engaging for people that aren't currently playing or aren't close friends of those who are playing. So if you're with the right group and it's a small setting, sure. If you're using it as an icebreaker, as Nintendo's pitching it, I can't see how this would be fun in a long-term thing. Especially because the games aren't always entirely clear. So if you're using it as a drinking game, it just leads to confusion. Yeah. Most of them you make sense. You have to have veterans. Yeah. You, yeah, you need at least one person that knows what's up. And like, like when we played it, when we got to try the Switch and we played it, um, you know, before we knew anything about it, before you bought it, we needed explainers, I think, on, like, most of them, right? And even then, we still managed to botch it. And some of them are fun, like the, the, um, I like the Samurai Sword one. I like the quick draw variant where, um... Fake draw. Fake quick draw, which, by the way, that's a whole nother issue, is you can't say you have 28 games and then have three or four of the games just be duplicates of the other games, but with one little twist. That's just called... A mode. <laughs> difficulty setting? Yeah, it's a difficulty setting or a mode that's not like a whole new game. So, But yeah, it's um, it's a weird collection. If it was 15 bucks, it'd be awesome. If it was a pack-in, it'd be great. Nintendo says it's not a pack-in because they didn't want people to think this is what the Switch is. It's more than just this. That's literally why. Like Wii Sports like, oh, this is what the Wii is, motion control. 1-2-Switch, like, this is not all the Switch is. Yeah, there's, I mean, there's a hardcore element to the Switch. So, mm-hmm. Well, then pack two games in. Um, or or like, make 1-2-Switch make smaller and include some other games that yeah. highlight the, the other, other components. Do what, like, the PlayStation VR did, where it's a whole collection of games. Or literally have just, like, added, I don't know how, just find, be creative and make some more mini games and add that board game element. Just make it, like, me party. Yeah, because that's the thing. That board game thing was such a cool idea when we first talked about it. After, like, remember a couple Because you could literally take that anywhere yeah. and that would work. And, like, literally a couple episodes ago, we had that entire point about, like, oh, Nintendo's back communicating what game's about. Like, this this board game could be the saving grace of 1-2-Switch. I think that was the last episode we said that. Turns out, I guess it's not. Which may be why they didn't communicate properly. But, um, yeah, I don't know. It's a bummer because, like, 1-2-Switch could have been that big party game for Nintendo, and they nailed the party game vibe so many times that it's just weird to see them flounder with this one a bit, I guess. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's it's unfortunate, but it makes me hopeful that they can learn from this and make a better party game collection down the road, possibly just, you know, make it WarioWare, make it Game of Wario. Like, I don't know why. This is so close to being those. All they do is, like, take out the characters and put real humans. Yeah. But it's basically, like, the vibe of it, the humor of it, I would be shocked if it wasn't the same dev team, to be honest. They just tried to make a mass appeal. And I get why they went mass appeal. Wario's not familiar to many people, but yeah. still, it didn't I just wish it wasn't 15. They could have definitely... Mm-hmm. I don't know. That definitely soured it a little, but... I mean, I'm sure we'll have fun with it. It was fun when we got to try it no, the I mean, first we time. did. I mean, there was... I mean, Baby was hilarious. Baby's kinda. bizarre. <laughs> like, so those who don't know, Baby's the only one that requires the whole control... The whole switch, and you cradle it like a baby. Joy-Con's attached to the sides. And it cries. And all you see on the Switch... See, that's another example of what do people that aren't super friend... Like, if I'm not your best friend and I'm watching you cradle a Switch, what's in it for me besides, well, whose house did I just go to and why am I here? (laughs) But, I mean, it could work. It depends on the personalities. But it doesn't have the instant, like, everyone's gonna love it that other party games from Nintendo have. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's a nice breaker, but I definitely see it as a a game you put with friends. Because, I mean, I definitely got enjoyment out of seeing someone cradle a Oh, Switch. yeah, yeah, because we know him super well. Like, even... Why even... should even then? I feel like I wouldn't enjoy it if we were there just watching someone create a Switch because that just seems odd, but... It always seems odd the first two or three times, though, and then you're just like, oh, it's that cradling thing. I don't know, it loses... It doesn't have any depth beyond just the concept, which is kind of the problem. Anyway, 
So that's one two switch. It sounds like we're both for in a rare instance on this show we're both like, yeah, don't. <laughs> but one game I'm liking a lot more. I guess we could uh, we'll stick with first party. One game I'm liking a lot more is Snipper Clips. Yeah, the game's great. So Snipper Clips, besides being incredibly fun to say, as I've highlighted before, um, how far are you in Snipper Clips? Um, like, have you gotten? I haven't gotten too far, but somewhere I've in the second world. So you are only doing it co-op, right? Yeah, because I don't know why I wouldn't. So, I wanted to see... I have done co-op. I did about 50-50. So I've done some co-op and I did some single player. Because the fact of the matter is, you're not always... If you're an only child like myself, you're not always having people around that can snip and clip with you. So... That's a shame. It is. So I kind of... So Snipper Clips, as a multiplayer experience... I guess I'll talk about Snipper Clips mainly, unless you can chime in with anything. But what I've noticed about Snipper Clips is it's exactly... Well, that's, I don't know. I don't know what you want to say, but I just sort of launched into it, so I figured I'd keep going. Okay. But Snipper Clips is exactly what it's advertised as, and it works quite well for being that. So basically, you are these two little half-circle guys, and your job is to walk around and complete certain tasks. Sometimes they are actions where you have to make a, something happen at a level or change a circumstance at a level. Sometimes it's a matter of helping something, guiding something where it needs to go. Sometimes it's just like basketball, basically. So it's like different variants, um, and the main key is you overlay your characters, and then you can cut each other out to form shapes to complete these goals. If you need to thread a needle, you want to have a pointy end on you. If you need to play basketball, you need a way to catch the basketball, so you want to like scoop one of your characters. And the whole idea is you're sitting there with your friend or your family member or your brother in your case, and you just do it. Do it. You just communicate what you need to do, and you do it. Where it differs in single player is you are now controlling, and single player wasn't even confirmed until like a couple weeks ago, you're now controlling both snip and clip, so the pink and the yellow one. And what that means is, A, there's no brainstorming back and forth, you're just on your own, which actually doesn't sound like it would be a big difference, but does take some of the fun out of it. And B, you are controlling both characters. So what you do is you move one character, you hit X, you move the other character, you act on the first character, you hit X again. You basically have to keep switching between them. Sounds tedious. It is rather tedious. It takes some, it sucks some of the fun out of it. It makes it more it's still entertaining, but it definitely this game is definitely multiplayer first. And unlike one two switch, it at least offers single player to fall back on, but it is definitely designed with multiplayer in mind. So that that was kinda it's interesting in that multiplayer is like I was saying, is exactly what you'd expect. It works exactly how you'd expect if you've seen Atrios live video. It's really fun, it has great personality. I love like how the little snip, snip and clip guys um, have different like reactions as you carve them out from one another. They look happy. They look agitated. Usually happy. It's like a massage for them. Or they look flirty. Or they look flirty, or like you know when you pop them back into full shape, which you can do at any time. You, there's an undo button and a redo button. So if you do a bad shape, you can undo it. And if you need it again, you can redo it. it. It's actually pretty handy, especially in single player. That one's really handy if you like slightly mess up. You don't have to keep alternating. You just undo. But like all that is great. Personality is great. The the whole arts and crafts vibe is really cool. Um. I forgot what the point I was going to make at the start of this was. But yeah, it's definitely multiplayer first, I would say. Which makes sense because the whole premise of the Switch is multiplayer anywhere with anyone. You have two controllers right off the bat. So I get it. Um, yeah, but, I, I love how quickly we could get through a lot of the puzzles, especially... I don't know, yeah, I guess as a multiplayer game, just because all the puzzles are just single screen based. So there's no text, there's no screen scrolling or anything. So mm-hmm. uh, and I guess I just love how freeform they are also. I mean, they kept emphasizing how you could pretty much solve the puzzle almost any way you want like we've solved a good number of them without ever snipping or clipping like we just kind of toss the stuff over or just 
figure our way to just like jimmy and just like oh let's just carry it over without snipping like, sometimes it was easier without cutting and sometimes it wasn't but yeah that that's yeah, one yeah. really cool thing is the developers who are an indie team that nintendo basically recruited into like they're making this game and Nintendo's like we'll give it some nintendo shine for you and they published it and gave development advice those developers had this really cool idea of just like anything goes all that matters is you control how the thing happens with shapes or not even shapes in your case but there's no limitation to what sort of puzzles you're gonna get that's what's trying to get at with like sometimes you're guiding things sometimes you're affecting things but like you know one level is literally like you're playing basketball and then the next level you have to guide a firefly into a light bulb and then the next level you have to pop three balloons but one's really high so you have to somehow drag it down doing one thing and then you pop it doing another thing it's like this whole you know but it's all one screen so it's these really geometric geometry puzzles basically is really all it is and it it, it does it really well yeah yeah so i get i mean it's it's hard to snipper clips is not the lengthiest of games there are two other modes so this is the main world t- tour mode or whatever it's called yeah. there's also a blitz mode and a party mode i don't know much about each of them to be honest these are early impressions of the game but i think the blitz mode or the party mode i mean is more competitive stuff so it's like the basketball one the baseball one yeah. the things where you are it, trying to get things yeah, into you're like, things yeah you're like two on two basically yeah. achieving the same task whoever does better wins and then there's the other mode where it's pretty much a free-for-all just snipping and clipping each other yeah but the, the meat of the game is definitely the, the world tour yeah mode. and it it yeah it's it's really cool and also there's like little touches like you can tilt the world kind of the world like tilts back and forth as you're playing and it seems like it was asking to be in 3D. So, it, yeah. it feels like it could have been a 3DS game, but it, it's it's really cool. And and the great thing about it is you mentioned the puzzles are relatively, um, you know, they're all single screen. So it is the perfect pick-and-play game. Like if you ever switch with you and you have five minutes and you're with a friend or something waiting for a bus, like you could hammer out a level or two of snipper clips if you're good with geometry. Like it's, it's cool for that. Or like, you know, if you're at a restaurant or something, you just play a few while you wait for your food. It's not a huge – it's almost like a mobile game in that regard. Hmm. In like that pick up and play nature, which there aren't a ton of on Switch currently. I mean, there's that and there's Bomberman, and those are probably the only two. One, two Switch even requires a little more setup because you have to like clear space and everything. But I think Snipper Clips and Bomberman, which we'll talk to talk about in a minute, those are really the only two. <laughs> they do multiplayer better than One Two Switch. Yeah, they do, and they're and they're really not only do they do it better than One Two Switch. I'd argue, or you'd argue, we'd argue, but they also capture this thing that the switch is so good at which is just you you can play it anywhere for a few minutes at a time you don't have to have a big investment even though it's a console you know home consoles you're like i'm gonna sit down and play a game for an hour but the fact that the switch is portable they make it's nice that the library is also accommodating to that sort of like quick session setup so i guess that's pretty much snipper clips um bomberman super bomberman r so this is the one third party game we're talking about this episode and I am actually liking it more than I thought I would. My concern about Bomberman was that it was primarily going to be the multiplayer mode, and then single player would just be that, but with computer controlled characters. What surprised me is single player is more than that. So, first, um, I guess I'll talk about single player. I'm, I think I'm further than you. In yeah, a little. Player. Yeah, so single player starts exactly as i was kind of like uh-oh where you are just like you're in a normal grid like in multiplayer you're dropping bombs you're doing your man things and you have to get to the end you have to kill all the enemies you have to find four switches under things you have to blow up and then press them yeah, the objective changes per level but yes. 
Yeah, uh, this almost seems like a remake of Bomberman. What what year did we agree it was? Eighty seven. Uh, no, like ninety three or four. Bomberman ninety three. Yeah, it's almost like a carbon copy of it. The multiplayer is your traditional Bomberman. You're on a grid. You have different varying environments with different rules. Some of them have an elevation, and then the single player is just like this one. It's on a grid like track that moves forward with you, and they each have different objectives. But where it gets good, and this is where I was thrown off because I didn't expect this to happen. I'm pleasantly surprised. Once you get past the initial wave of levels in single player, the grid you're on, while still a grid, opens up to more than being just a rectangle. You are suddenly dealing with things like multiple rectangles connected. Ooh. But more point, uh, in the second world, they introduced verticality. So now there's not only the grid and the enemies they have to complete objective of get the keys or move the switches or whatever, but you sometimes will have to locate a switch that drops a wall that takes you up a staircase that takes you past a ditch where an enemy could be in that ditch but the enemy can climb out of that ditch to a different part of it like there's levels to it. like it gets actually kind of in depth i wouldn't quite call it like barman 64 barman hero in terms of how much it offers for single player where those are like full-on action adventure games that just had bomberman in them and kind of stuck to the grid but it's definitely there's more to it and it gets way more involved and levels get more complicated and it's actually pleasantly surprising that that's the case because i think everyone's fear was this is just sort of multiplayer. They'll shoehorn in single player. So that that was really nice. And it actually... I made a reference to this earlier. But I was saying it kind of reminds me of Super Monkey Ball. So bear with me on this analogy. But I think it kind of works. So if you remember Super Monkey Ball on the GameCube when it first came out. You had a single player game where your goal was to get to the end of every level. And the goal was simple. You just get there by rolling and you collect bananas along the way. That's it. In Bomberman... You have a goal you need to get to at the end of every level. And you get there by blowing things up along the way. In both games, they took this extremely simple premise and then fleshed it out in all these different ways by having the environment of the game change. So like in Super Monkey Ball, they introduced ramps and jumps and obstacles and whatnot. In Barman, at least what I'm seeing so far, is it starts with just the grid. It starts with what you're used to from multiplayer, but then it just expands outward with all these other ideas. Like, for example, there's one level I did where... There's like um, a staircase that went up. Like it was like basically like a mountain or a pyramid, and you had to kind of come at it from different sides. And what I've noticed with single player is, again, like Monkey Ball, there's kind of a set path of how you get there. It looks like you're on a grid, and it looks like you're just blowing stuff up at random. But as you get into these more advanced levels, where you have to go up a hill and down a hill and through a staircase and whatever, you notice that the developers kind of built a path in. Like you go to this spot to get that switch, which moves you to this thing, which lets you clear that enemy, which lets you get that thing, which goes to the end or whatever. So it actually is kind of like, instead of tilting your world to do things, you're blowing things up, but it's kind of a similar, like if you like Monkey Ball as a, like an arcade experience where they just build on this very simple premise and do new things with the world that get you to use the premise in different ways, Bomberman kind of does that. Yeah. And then multiplayer is just straight up Bomberman. So the one thing I would say, though, is I did not expect a Sunday morning cartoon storyline. Like, I don't remember when Bomberman... Did Barman always have that? I don't remember Barman having, like, his seven siblings of varying colors and all of them having, like, the seven dwarf well, personalities. Considering like, I've, sleepy and grumpy and... Considering I haven't really kept up with every single entry in the Barman franchise, I don't know, they could have been established a long time ago. Yeah, I don't, I don't remember them, though. Like, the last few Bomberman games the were all multiplayer. The only thing that I do recommend is um, when you played multi... Well, the first thing we did was obviously multiplayer. I mean, just because it's me and Elvis... Mm-hmm. And when you're picking someone, they all talk in their little voices. And that's when we first were like, oh, man, they're talking here, too. And mm-hmm. it wasn't that much, but it just gets kind of cringy. And they just they just chat a lot, and it's kind of loud. Like, you pick one of the other, like, 
oh, I'm not ready. And then another oh, one was yeah. like, oh, that's ready, ready to fight. I don't know. It's just kind of weird. So we just um turned off the voices. Just yeah. turned it all the way down. And that actually made the game like 90 like almost like ninety percent better. <laughs> like I like we already love the multiplayer. Like it's already great because I mean it pretty much plays exactly how the other Bomberman played. It just has some extra bonuses because I mean like we get the little skates, we get the little um, revenge killing mechanism, the carts on the side. Well, that was an old Bomberman. I know, yeah. yeah. No, that's why we get them back because yeah. this one didn't have the, right. the, the, the version. The, yeah, the version we were playing didn't have them. I do also like that they updated the graphics, but kept speaking of old stuff, all the. Item icons are exactly oh, yeah. the same retro yeah, ones. Yeah, sprites, yeah. Yeah, it's pretty great. So, I mean, I like all that, but the voices definitely we could do without. But then we found out that um, if you go to single player... You can turn it off. For whatever reason... No. Um, there's a there's a, spe- a sound effect option that lets no, you turn it off. I know. That's, that's what I just said. <laughs> oh. That we turned off the voices. Oh, I thought you meant you turned off your TV's volume. <laughs> Sorry. No, we turned off just the I voices. So, yeah. like, we still had all the sound effects, but we got rid of the barman people talking. Mm-hmm. But for whatever reason, that takes off... All the audio, sound effects included, in single player cutscenes for some reason. Instead of, mm. I guess they just, I guess they just labeled it under voices and just put it out in one track yeah, as opposed to, track, yeah. yeah. I mean, I thought they would at least let you listen to cutscenes and then when you're actually playing, you don't hear the character talking. But no, you it's like all or nothing. The one, the so, one thing that, so I guess now we have to go like, all right. So I guess we'll leave the volume on when we're playing single player because who cares if they talk then? But when we're playing multiplayer, we'll keep them off. The one thing that surprised me, speaking of them talking, is they talk a lot before you even start the game. There's like oh, six, yeah. seven minutes of cutscene just to drop your first bomb, um, which for Bomberman is weird to me. Like, I, I was kind of pleasantly surprised that there was that much production value in this because a lot of people are like, oh, Bomberman's not worth $50. Even some reviews were coming out saying the content's not worth it. I already paid 40 thanks to Gamers Club with Best Buy. So I feel like $40 isn't, given the production value, which I take it or leave it, it's there. They put the voice acting time in they put the animation time in it's pretty well like flash animated um but if you you know if you take that into account you take into account the, the fact that the levels actually do get more complex and interesting in single player take into account that multiplayer is really fun take into account that there's an online mode friends and right and randoms although currently it has a glitch where everything lags in the controls which konami's fixing they're aware of but just so you know online doesn't work right right now but if you factor all that in this does not quite feel like the budget title that people were necessarily yeah, also saying it should be. Yeah, a ton of stages to unlock in multiplayer. Yes. I believe you start with eight stages, and there's a bunch of them to unlock, and they're pretty pricey. And pricey, I just mean by in-game currency. Yes. But you can also buy a bunch of other accessories for your Bomberman. Like, obviously, there was an electric guitar, so Obis bought that right away for his Bomberman. Right. So every time he plays Bomberman, he's going to have a Bomberman with an electric guitar attached to his head. But even even um, I don't know, so it's cool like there's a lot of and i also just love the variety of bomberman like i just love how like they all animate differently minus mm-hmm. the voices that like, you just personalities yeah. can be shown just yeah the and it's, it's yeah. funny because like i mean they're obviously like bare bone personality you have the um, the angry one you literally the, have the seven dwarves the, like the lazy one yeah and then you just have the girl <laughs> that's literally there's just two girls girl. yeah the two the girl like the girl the, and her sister yeah the, the, <laughs> their, their personality is just being a girl which yeah it's like all right well. which is very 90s sexism yeah so, <laughs> so barman really is back <laughs> um but no, it's uh, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. It's it I mean, feels like the game did not get a fair shake in reviews because a lot of people were not just saying like it's not worth the money, but they're also talking about how like it's not. They're giving it low scores because they're saying it's not a bad game. It's just not much to it. But I'm finding there to be. Pl- exa- we're describing plenty yeah, of things. I mean, it was exactly what I expected. I mean, I had a blast playing it. So ha. I don't know what people said. Ha! I see what you did there. You had a blast with Bomberman. Yeah, I mean, You're I so, that wit. That wit is. I don't know, it just felt like the perfect word to describe it. Did. It did. I know. It, I mean, it really was fun. it was more than fun because I love playing Bomberman. Like it's, it's you a You explain your pun. I, I know. I wasn't trying to explain it. <laughs> I know. I'm kidding. But I, I, I would have made the same joke. Don't worry. You'd have to call it out. 
I totally did. But, uh, <laughs> um, what was I going to say? Uh, yeah, Bomberman is, is good. I would recommend it. I would it recommend was a riot. It. Man, I go back to Bomb Blast. It was better. But, yeah, I would definitely, if you're looking for, like, a third-party game, Bomberman's pretty good. Like, if for some reason you're insisting, oh, well, I have Zelda and I'm not getting one to switch, uh, Bomberman's up there. Snipper Clips is also up there. But, but yeah, I think with that, um, I think we could, sorry, because of my own bad plan, I think we can switch topics a bit. I'll see myself out. But yeah, obviously, mm, please uh, do. Uh, what I was going <laughs> to say is uh, we can switch topics a bit because obviously the three games we just discussed are one set of options of what you can play on your Switch, but there's a lot more, it turns out, coming out in the future. I think more than any of us expected. Last week during the Nintendo Nindy Showcase, uh, Nintendo revealed over 60, 60 indie games coming to the system, which is insane. And uh, the most striking thing. So these were like part of that big number. I think it was like eighty games in development. Of so course, sixty they were. were indies and twenty are like AAA. I, I guess it's Half over a hundred. No, it's over a hundred games in development, which oh. means forty AAA and sixty Switch or uh, indie. Yeah, when they first announced the Switch, or when we had that press video, first it was like seventy or something. It right? was originally yes, it was sixty or seventy. But the thing is, a lot of these games are ports of other systems games that can be easily brought on thanks to Unity or Unreal Engine or any number of different engines that have to be that like mono mono game engine which is what power stardew valley i believe now supports switch and or no not sorry valley powers uh towerfall which we now know is coming to switch uh so it's easy to bring these over so it's hard to say how many of those were in the original tie versus have since been announced because you have games that are all coming to switch with some new enhancements like you got stardew valley now it's multiplayer mode uh rive is coming from two tribes which is built on i believe unity so that's an easy port and i hope it has HD rumble because that makes perfect sense for Rive. But it, if not, we do know for sure it has exclusive content. So you get games like that. They got a lot of games that are going to be coming first to Switch and then brought to other systems, which are probably some that were in the count you're describing, such as uh, Mr. Shifty or Goner. Goner looks has a crazy art style. Goner is the one where it's like mostly a black screen. There's just like looks like paintbrush strokes of like the thing forming as you walk around. It looks really cool. But um, yeah, it seems like what Nintendo's doing is basically admitting that. They're not going to get a ton of major third-party games right off the bat, so to fill the void, they are going indie, and they are recruiting these very quality games that are known from the other parts of the indie world, and then working with established developers from those parts of the indie world on games to bring to the Switch first. So no matter what your other game systems you own are, you can get games that have exclusive features or games that you can't get anywhere else yet. Yeah, I thought it was, definitely thought it was interesting that they were like, all right, Stardew Valley is coming, but multiplayer is first on Switch. Yeah, or like they kept doing that thing where it's like it launches first on the Switch, like... It's a very smart or strategy. Exclusive on Switch. Yeah. yeah, it's a very smart strategy because um, the Wii U, I mean, sorry, the Switch, totally has gaps in its lineup right now. Like most major third parties are waiting for the audience. They have bigger games on PS4 and Xbox One to focus on, and this is exactly the approach that Sony actually took with PS4 in its early days, if you remember, where they didn't have a ton of major games right off the bat because they needed time to develop them because they're such big, lofty projects. So they recruited indies and they had indies come out with stuff regularly. And what I find kind of interesting is Nintendo is specifically targeting certain indies and working with those indies to make this happen. Like Damon Baker, who's the guy that hosted the video presentation and is Nintendo's kind of outward-facing indie dude, he was saying in an interview that they are specifically going out and talking to developers to bring certain games that make sense with the Switch in terms of like multiplayer-oriented or good-to-play-on-the-go and at home, as well as games of a certain quality. He called out quality. He called out quality over quantity. So we're not going to see another skunk uh, bundle. 
we're not going to see random games that you have no idea how those exist on the Wii U eShop. What we are going to see are games like Ukulele. What we are going to see are games like Shovel Knight. And by the way, Ukulele is now finally 100% confirmed for Switch. Took them long enough. But, um, yeah, we're, we're seeing Nintendo switch back towards more curated, no pun intended, towards more curated content, which I think is long overdue. And I think, as shown by these 60-plus games, it's resonating quite well with developers, which only bodes well for us Switch owners going forward, which is cool. So, given how many there are, there's no way we're covering them all, but it does seem like we should hone in on a few that we're both really excited for. So we made a list before we recorded and kind of dug up the info on these games and figured we'd talk through them a bit. Uh, first up that I think we both agree on as being one that's worth keeping an eye out for is SteamWorld Dig 2, yeah. which is the sequel to SteamWorld Dig. Uh, so Image Informed World debuted it at the start of the presentation. Uh, it's They have for a while now been talking about building out their star, uh, SteamWorld universe into this bigger thing. Like SteamWorld Heist was the first game outside of dig and actually i take that back tower defense came even before all these on dsiware and then dig and then steamworld heist but now they're going back to the well with steamworld 2 uh steamworld dig 2 and it sounds like it's more of the same just on a grander scale which is 100 percent cool of me uh what i really see what i really liked about the first game and i if i remember correctly i turned you on to it here on the podcast when it first came out was it's basically mr driller combined with the metroid upgrade system so you're just moving your way down and you're drilling, and then you enhance yourself over time by finding new things, and then you sort of just keep drilling. Problem was, it's a bit short. And what they're doing for SteamWorld Dig 2 is they are expanding on this Metroid influence to make it lengthier. And what that means, while one hand can be very cool, also makes me a little worried, is they're going Metroidvania with it. So instead of one mineshaft, there are multiple mineshafts. It's an open map that's all interconnected, and as you get new things, you can access new new parts. If they go full Metroidvania, I'm not entirely sure how I feel about that because we have a ton of Metroidvanias out there. But if they do, like, we're keeping SteamWorld, SteamWorld, we're just making it so there's multiple mine shafts and you just kind of make your way to them as you get through the game, then that's fine. I mean, one thing they are they have straight up said they're doing is they're getting rid of the procedurally, gener- procedurally generated levels and replacing them with... Um, actually handcrafted mapped out levels because you can't have a metroidvania if it's all randomly generated but excluding that if they stick to what works i'm pretty confident it's gonna be an awesome game it also could very potentially be an awesome game if they go full metroidvania i'm just ever so slightly hesitant that they might take away what made steam world dig unique Hmm. and just kind of have it blend but i think my excitement personally outweighs the potential risk of it going full metroidvania in my mind so i'm still pretty excited for it um it's coming out sometime this summer on switch first and they'll go other systems so that's what i keep an eye on i think and also it directly follows the plot of dig of the original dig you're not rusty anymore you're now one of the townspeople and you over the course of the game will apparently learn what happened to rusty who was the star of the first one so there's that i mean you were you were into steamworld dig right you got you got the original yeah it was fun yeah it was definitely more metroidy than anything it just felt like i mean the upgrades were literally like straight out of metroid oh yeah yeah it was super but, that's why it's like mr driller's downward gameplay where you're just like drill 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 drill, drill but in a metroid like facade yeah. or not facade but structure and but the thing was it was still enough of its own identity but now if they go full metrovania and start doing the whole like map i'm kind of like mm, is that going to become just another metrovania we'll, we'll see we'll see yeah. but i'm excited for the potential for it to 
it's weird because like I want to expand, but I don't want to expand into something it's not. So we'll have to see. But I, I'm excited that it's doing something now. If there's one that's a little more close to what it originally was, that I think also we are big fans of the predecessor. That would be Runner Three, which is also launching first and perhaps exclusively on the Switch. And uh, we already knew about the basics of Three. Uh, we know that the new mechanic is you don't just run left, right. You go up, down, you know, every which way. Uh, but what we got to see... Which, at the end, it doesn't change anything. No, not at all. Yeah. But, and what we got to see in the Nindy presentation is not only does it not change gameplay in a meaningful way necessarily, but the game really just looks like a continuation of Runner 2, which is not a bad thing. No, because we all. just want more of it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We have so, fun with it, so just give me more. Yeah, so so like the art style is kind of similar. What I did find interesting. Is Charles uh, Martin reprising his role as an narrator. Yes, he is. He is supposedly. And what I find kind of interesting is like if you watch the footage, they're doing something interesting this time around, where instead of having all the game look the same, like it has a really cool art style. I love the art style, but they're experimenting with it a bit. So there were retro challenges in Bit Trip Runner Two, but in Bit Trip Right, or there were the retro cartridges yeah. you could collect in Bit Trip Runner Three. From what I can tell from the footage, it looks like those retro challenges actually changed the entire look of the game. Well, yeah, it was just like in Runner 2. Like, you actually played in, I think, TurboGrafx-16 graphics. No, 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 but this one's, like, not just... Because the retro classic threw back to TurboGrafx or threw back to BitTrip Runner 1. This Runner 1, this one, it goes, like, cartoon almost. Oh, no, yeah. Yeah, so there's a couple cartoon levels, and it looks like even within the main game, they're playing with the art styles a little. Like, it kind of reminds me of Mario Odyssey, how, like, different worlds look different. You know, there's one that was, like, very geometrically basic. There was one made up of food. Like, it kind of... And I, I could be talking about Mario Odyssey, or I could be talking about Runner 3, because they're both doing it. But it was just kind of interesting to see that they're getting more comfortable in that crazy art style and then experimenting with it, which is kind of fun. Um, on top of that, they also are promising the introduction of vehicles, which should be interesting. I assume it would play the same. It would just be a visual difference. And there, of course, could be multiple modes and lots of playable characters, including probably that weird potato dude in the trailer. They like mutate Mr. Potato Head. Yeah, the first game had a bunch of weird characters, so I'm pretty sure we'll see many this time around. I don't know if they'll do DLC characters this time. Like I remember last time we got um, who did we get? We got Spelunky, the guy from Cave Story, and then we got um, Doctor Fetus from what's that game? Uh, Super Meat Boy. Yeah, Super Meat. Come on, you should know. That. I know, but yeah, yeah so it, I'm excited for it. it. I feel like it's been long enough since Runner Two that we can get more of the same even if it feels kind of samey in the trailer it's still like oh cool it's been a while since i played this so yeah i mean it's like rhythm heaven exactly. i mean it is like rhythm heaven. it's a rhythm game it's rhythm heaven mixed with any number of runners i know it's really just rhythm heaven. yeah because <laughs> yeah. i mean if you memorize it, this game just comes down to memorization there's really no i mean there's yeah it's just timing but there is no like it's not like a traditional platformer where the timing could change every once in That's a while it, it's all consistent yeah so i mean I, I always thought of this game as a music game or a rhythm game. Yeah, no, it, I mean, it. yeah, it really is. You're right. Yeah. Um, now, if you want to, and it's coming out this fall, but if you want something a little more unique, we have that too as an option. Um, we as in Switch owners, not we as in us. And that, it, it's, it's familiar yet different, and that is Flipping Death. So this one caught my eye because Zoink, the developers of Stick It to the Man, have a very distinct Tim Burton-esque art style. Yeah, we, we talked about it on the show and you were really yeah. talking it up. But yeah, they have that, dis that distinct Tim Burton art style. And what Flipping Death does is besides just enhancing the look of it, it puts a whole new gameplay mechanic on top of that art style. That's sort of like – so Stick It to the Man is all about like interacting with the environment by literally sticking things to it. It's like you're in like basically a giant diagram sort of, right? Sort of, yeah. Diorama. Or yeah, diorama, I mean, yeah. It doesn't feel kind of the same, just, ex 
but instead of um dragging objects to people you're dragging people to objects <laughs> sort of but, so but it's like, the so whole, it's like inverted it's not just inverted in that regard but the other way it's inverted is literally there are two worlds that invert you are a dead person and you have to complete tasks for other dead people by possessing living people and where it really comes into its own at least from what i've been reading about it is you're not possessing the people you're possessing parts of the people or things oh, they're yeah, holding like or that sort of thing yeah, yeah. or objects so like you'll be told hey i need to do this one i need my house painted so you possess the tongue of a dude and his tongue paints or maybe it's a boat but his tongue paints something or like there's one in the trailer where he's being dragged by his ice cream cone and the game has the same writers stick it to the man it's uh obviously like we were saying similar art style so really this is basically if you like stick it to the man and that sort of quirk this is that like times two with a s- different enough gameplay mechanic that it's something fresh but also familiar which is more than we could say probably than the last two games we talked about which i'm so excited for but you know it's kind of like sequel sequel it, uh spiritual successor perhaps is the best way to describe this one yeah but but yeah it's it's um it looks pretty cool i i mean honestly the art style alone got me interested so which is rather distinct yeah and um if you if you want to talk about games that are inspired by other games or games that are spiritual successors how about wargroove Wargroove is one I I know you don't care much about because you're not a huge turn-based strategy guy, but for me it depends. I like my turn-based strategies, just not just specifically not Fire Emblem or Advanced Wars, which are basically the same. Well, Advanced Wars, I'm a well, little more tolerant for. Wargroove is straight up Advanced yeah. Wars, set in medieval times. I know, yeah, yeah. I, I can I don't know. Advanced Wars was okay for me. Just okay. I, Fire Emblem, I just can't really do. But, that's understand. Well, this yeah. one, so yeah, this one's basically like it's like they took Advanced Wars and they're like, oh, the medieval times of. Well, I should rephrase. It's not medieval times in like the Fire Emblem sense. It's medieval times it's in like times. the Oregon Trail sense. Like they have like stagecoaches and stuff. But uh, yeah, it it admittedly borrows rather heavily from Advanced Wars. Like right down to the look of the maps, right down to the chibi-ish characters on the map, right down to the way battle animations play out. But considering we haven't had an Advanced Wars in like eight years or so. I will happily take Wargroove instead. I am totally cool with that. It has a single-player campaign. It has multiplayer both online and off, supporting up to four people, so you can actually do cooperative play with teams. And there's a stage builder. And there's 12 different characters, each with their own campaign. So it really does seem like this is going to be a pretty packed game. And the developers are not even hiding the fact that this is like Advanced Wars. They are actually saying, we haven't seen a game like... I think they've coined it. We haven't seen a game like the early 2000s portable strategy games that we all know and love so we decided to make our own it's like all right yeah. i mean hey why not and, and nintendo's I, supporting it yeah and i mean while i'm not well i know i'm not getting this game i can say that the developers are are people that i'm definitely fans of because like fish yeah, cu- yeah chuckle shuck, or chuckle fish yeah chuckle fish not fish. <laughs> yeah because all of a sudden i like we're both like big like like yeah, we have yeah, yeah yeah we love playing starbound and that game is really fun and like really deep and just has like a ton of content yeah. So I have no doubt that this game will do the same and just provide many, many hours of playtime. And, what, and what's kind of funny about a lot of these indie games, like the ones we're cherry picking, it's 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 a little unfortunate that the ones that we're cherry picking is ones we're really looking out for. I kind of already alluded to this, or things we're familiar with, or things that remind us of something. But there's not really any way to know how good or bad a new game will be until you actually play it. Like something like, um, uh, I'm trying to think of a good example. Something like Mr. Shifty is a really cool concept where it's like, oh, you're poor, you're teleporting through a level or whatever. Or like The Escapist 2, which is, I guess, a sequel, but something new to me where it's like you're escaping a jail and you have to do like this whole top-down adventure. I'm sure those are really cool, but those are the ones where word of mouth is going to carry them more than our hype up front. So it, we are sort of front-loading a lot of our, like, oh, this game looks cool with the familiar. 
but I think that's more because how you get hyped about something you don't understand or you don't know anything about. All you see is a minute trailer. That's not necessarily enough. Like even something like Shakedown Hawaii, which I know a lot of people are looking forward to. It's like, yeah, it, that looks like Retro City Rampage. I could see why you would make that connection, but it's a little hard to make that connection if it's something totally different, like the Dorma or whatever it's called. So I get, I realize a lot of people who aren't listening. It's like you're just talking about sequels and things that remind you of nostalgia, but that kind of my mindset going into it, I guess. I mean, does that does that happen with you, or is there ever a time there's a totally new indie game where you're just, you see a minute trailer and you're like, yes, I want that? I can't think of very. Many. I mean, the closest thing was like when I first saw Stick It to the Man. Right. I mean, like, even that game Dodorma. Um, it's funny because like at at work, because kids have access to this website called Cool Math Games, which is, has nothing to do with math. They're just <laughs> they're just indie flash games sure. that are approved for students that they could play. And a lot of these games, especially the Dorma, however you pronounce that, I don't know even how to say. It. I think I'm saying it wrong. Like, I don't think it has an ads. Like I re- like I remember seeing um tweets like about this game, like oh man, this game looks so unique and cool. But then I see the trailer for it, and I'm like, wow, this is literally a sticky ninja that kids play at school. Mm-hmm. Like I don't know. Yeah. So you know so so kind of going back to you, like yeah, like they're it's hard to come across like brand new ideas. And so and then so the ones you get hyped about are the familiar ideas that you liked previously yeah like another example of that is um old time hockey wasn't even in the presentation but they announced it separately and that is basically it's like uh it's kind of like nba jam except it's like nhl hits if you played if you ever played that and basically um it's like an arcadey easy to pick up and play action game or action sports game where it streamlines and very intensifies the violence of hockey so instead of a simulation, you get the super arcade thing. And what's cool about old-time hockey is that they claim they're channeling slaps, uh, slap shot from the 70s. To me, they're channeling NHL hits from the 90s on M64 right down to the graphics. But what's cool about that is like you get to kind of relive this old thing, but it's in through this new lens, I guess. Like it, They have multiple – they have like uh, three different control schemes, including like a modern-day control scheme, a two-button control scheme, and what they call beer mode where you, hold, where you play with just one hand while you hold a beer, which is kind of funny. Um, but they also have, like a single player story mode that's gonna be super ridiculous. Like it's rated M because of its story mode. So I imagine, you know, you're getting the gameplay you're familiar with, but they're presenting it in this new way where they're just like, well, you're an adult now. We understand that, so we're gonna go ahead and make it like crazy violent and crazy ridiculous. So there's stuff like that, which you know, that sort of game, I'm only excited for because I loved hits as a kid. I used to play NHL hits a lot. Like it, it was not so much about strategy and doing well in hockey. It was just about plowing people down and getting to the goal, and that was really fun. So to see a game do that again, even though we haven't seen it in so long, I was like, oh, yeah, 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 I can totally get behind that, even though I don't necessarily know how it will turn out. I imagine it will be at least decent, but who knows. Or like another, uh, you know, we're seeing, there's this title, NBA Playgrounds, that was listed on the infographic. No idea what it is. I'm guessing it's an NBA Jam-style thing. I don't know. But me thinking it's an NBA Jam style thing, like an arcadey old school basketball game, makes me way more interested than if it's, say, a team manager or something. Like, I have no idea, but it's the familiar that I keep getting drawn to. I think a good example, probably for you, is I'm guessing you're into Pocket Rumble because you yeah, have fine games. Yeah, it just looks like a traditional 2D fighter, and I'm willing to always give those a shot. Yeah, and, and what's, what's cool about Pocket Rumble is, like, it, they are fully replicating that 90s Neo Geo Pocket Color. What a name for a system. Uh, they're fully replicating the Neo Geo Pocket Color. Mm, like, down to look, the Right small to the roster. scan line. Yeah, and the scan lines. In the fact, there's only two buttons to play, and the fact that they're saying it's like easy to pick up but has depth, which all those games yeah, have I mean, to it do. It looks like Smash Brothers. It, it definitely reminded me of Smash Brothers in that regard because that's two buttons. You don't have to do quarter for yeah quarter circle forward. Yeah, a, there's no stick base. Unless you're, unless you're playing Ryu. But, um, well, yeah, yeah. 
But yeah. there's no there's no stick based stuff because the Neo Geo Pocket Car didn't have it. So if they're mimicking that, they're mimicking that. It's gonna be just you know, D pad equivalent of controls. Yeah. And they're but again, much like with old time hockey, much like with some of the other games we talked about, they are doing it in a way that feels somewhat fresh or different. Like it has online support. It has HD Rumble support. It's, it has global ranking. It has global ranking. It's pretty awesome. It has what they're calling perfect net code, which I can't believe they're making that claim. That's a bold claim. But um, well, yeah, it's they're for taking a very much... simplified game with those visuals. It's but no one doing... should ever say something's perfect. I know, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, my point is like they're it's asterisk assuming you have right. awesome internet. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But my point is like it's we're in this thing. We're in this like mindset with indie games, whether you want to be or not. At least I am. Where adding things to the familiar is cooler than some brand new idea so it feels weird that we're highlighting these but at the same time i'm also very excited for all these games that we just rattled off so it goes both ways i will say i also think pocket rumble and old time hockey and those are really the only two that catch my eye but they really seem to latch on this idea that the switch is a perfect local multiplayer machine almost like a pick up pick up and play like arcade situation where you could just like hop in and have a match or hop in and fight and I wouldn't be surprised if we see more indie games go that route. I would love to see, and I think it's only a matter of time before we see a throwback pseudo spiritual successor uh, cruising game, or maybe an official cruising game. Nintendo still has the license. That'd be cool. That'd be cool. Like that sort of see again. Like there's all sorts of interesting new ideas, like Towerfall and Celeste. Well, Towerfall's an old idea, but that's coming to Switch. It's old, but even then, like when that first came out, that's still pretty new. It's like all right, it's like a four-player like yeah. crazy party game, but I mean, you're just shooting arrows, but yet there's enough depth into it. there's enough depth to it that it just makes it really fun and addictive. Right, and then how many people do you think before it came out, before there was word of mouth, how many people when they saw the first first footage of that were like, it honestly doesn't look that, that looks amazing. Yeah, no it, one. Yeah, it honestly <laughs> doesn't look that fun when you're just watching people yeah, play. But, but I've heard yeah, but you definitely have to play it. It's really fun. Yeah, because you've been talking that one up. You're excited for it on Switch. Oh yeah, right? definitely. Yeah, so like, or even like if you look at their new game Celeste, which is basically just Super Meat Boy. Yeah, it's Super Meat Boy. It's V V V V V V V V V V. It's any of those games where you're just going room to room. Yeah, you just it's, there's 250 levels. Yeah. You're mountain climbing. Precision platformers, pretty much what yeah. it is. And you look one at one mistake, it, you die. It's for right. the hardcore platform people. And you look at it, and you're just kind of like, yeah, I've seen something like that before. Okay. But I want it. Cause yeah, exactly. I want more. You want it because you like it and you're familiar with it. That's the problem that newer these indie are, games, unfortunately, are stuck in, is you're not familiar with it, so you don't know if you like these it. You need to wait for word of mouth. These are basically your comfort foods of game. Yeah. Because I mean, cause you know what you're getting into, and that's pretty much it. You just know what you're getting into. I mean, yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, that's totally the best yeah. way of putting it. And I think that's why, like, so that was the list. Every game we just mentioned were the games we were going to bring up. And as we were going through it just now, that's what made me think, wait, there's nothing, like, crazy in here. It's all the familiar or, you know, it's all the familiar in some Yeah, ways. probably the weirdest one would have to be on uh, Flipping Death. That's probably the... But even that's the weird one. to oh, us yeah. stick it to the man fans. Yeah, that's right, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's still similar to that, but, I mean, of all the games in here, just on their own, that one just seems like the most different one. Yeah, yeah, and, and, and the thing is, of that six, of those 60 games, even of what we just saw in the direct... In the or the Nindy presentation, as they're calling it, uh, there was some stuff in there that looked crazy and weird and unique. But it did stick in our minds as a tumble seed we talked about already. I'm super psyched for tumble seed, but we, um, like for the most part, we didn't really cover them because they didn't stick with us because we don't know what to expect. So it goes, it almost goes back to my thing about how there's shorter hype cycles now because sometimes doing digital downloads, you know, like they can announce snipper clips the week before it comes out, it's coming out next week. Because what really matters is not day one sales. What matters are the long-term sales and the word of mouth that carries it. So indie games are always tricky to cover for that very reason. But I like to think we highlight at least some good ones. 
Yeah. Now, now to be fair to Switch, uh, there are also some major third-party games coming out, as we already know. For example, we now know Lego City Undercover, which has a co-op mode for the first time. is coming out April 4th, which is relatively soon. Uh, Disney just announced that it's bringing um, Cars 3 to the Switch, so stay tuned for that this summer, you guys, all you Lightning McQueen fans. And the one I really wanted to mention real quick, because we, you are, we've talked about on the show before, you're for sure getting Street Fighter, right? Mm-hmm. So Ultra Street Fighter 2, the Final Challenger, is, is coming out May 28th for $40. Okay. Now that caused a bit of a knee-jerk reaction online because you can get other variants of Street Fighter 2 for like 15 or $10 as downloads. Yeah, or Street Fighter 2 Turbo HD Remix. In your opinion, Mr. Street Fighter that you are, is this a Barman situation? What we know about Street Fighter, do you think, like about the new one, do you think there's going to be enough content to justify 40 bucks, and people are just like, oh, I don't think it'll be there? Or is it going to be, you know I, what I mean? I, I think it's a, one of those day one prices where I think it's $10 more than what it should be. Uh-huh. Um, the That way of the Hadouken. Um, Hado. The way of the Hado or whatever. Which I just realized is just short for Hadouken. Yeah. And you couldn't bother putting Ken on it. Yeah, like that. Um, that, I mean, that's not going to be the reason like why I buy it, why a lot of people buy it. Yeah. So it almost feels like, all right, I could see how they could possibly get to this price, but it's a shame that that's how they could get to that it's price kind of because it, cause it's pretty much a a mode that I don't care for. I mean, you don't buy Street Fighter Two to play a first person projectile game. You get <laughs> you get Link's crossbow training for that and dust yeah. off your old Wii, or you get uh, the castle in, in Nintendo Land, Ninja Castle. Grouse Cog. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah, and I mean, painting your character is not enough. You can't customize their stats. That's a new thing that came out. Customizing. Yeah, but that's only for like single player stuff. And at the end of the day, like, who cares about that? Because you want to play people online. You don't want to play people online with modified stats because you're going to be like, wait. My character normally does yeah. this much damage. That's just, that's just gonna which was a, which was a concern with Smash Bros. when they but, first announced all the amiibo customization. Yeah, but if that kind of stuff is allowed locally, which I'm pretty sure it is, that could honestly make it pretty fun. And at least like on a local level, actually, I'm trying to come around to it because they do have um, they have team games now. Like you can have like two on ones, and where the one person by themselves gets much more health than the two people. And that honestly sounds kind of fun because like that's usually something you don't really see in Street Fighter too often because it's a one-on-one fighter. How do you do right. two against one? Right. But I'm willing to give it a shot. And I mean, it could be one of those things that it's like a smaller party game, pretty much like a three-person game. Yeah. Or if you just have enough like friends that just love 2D fighters and you're like willing to take turns because that's not a big deal usually in those groups. Simulates the arcade experience. Yeah. The yeah. Then, then, then this is actually pretty cool. And I mean, it's still a full Street Fighter game. You have everything like the tight controls the i don't know the precision execution that you get and satisfaction when you get a perfect so i mean it's right. fighter but but at 40 dollars I, I feel like 30 is like the sweet the sweet spot you know when they could have gotten away but with 40 is like uh, i'll buy it but i kind of wish it was a little cheaper you know when they could have gotten away with 40 dollars day one release if they launched it next to the Switch on shelves the same day, people would buy it because it's a launch town they want games i would have bought it yeah yeah that's why bomberman that's why for yeah. one two switch I know you did. And that's why Bomberman's able to 50. get away with 50. Like, 40 would be the sweet you spot for Bomberman. Street Fighter feels cheap now. Well, yeah, if you put everything, huh. if you put everything <sighs> in the context of 1-2-Switch, it makes the entire lineup forever great. I know, right? Because <laughs> like, like, you're going to find out Mario's only $10 more than 1-2-Switch. I could play a full 3D Mario adventure set on multiple places around Earth for $10 more than 28 minigames that have no depth. <laughs> yes, please. I'm <laughs> like, to Breath of the Wild. Jeez. 
Yeah, it, or yeah, Breath of, yeah. The fact that Breath of the Wild is ten dollars more than One Two Switch is hysterical. I know, but, but uh, and not to bash One Two Switch too hard because I know Nintendo. No, like, I know, but they, I, yeah, I know they were trying to like do something. Because cool that's the thing, like the games like aren't like nothing about the game is bad. There's, it's just, no, there's just nothing about the game. It just literally ends. <laughs> the price. Yeah, they're like if they priced it at yeah, like we said, like fifteen bucks, maybe ten. Like it would right. it would have been a wow. This is actually really good. It's It'd be good. like spin the ball. Buffy's it's a party. good deal, but that's the thing. It just leaves that horrible taste in your mouth that you paid fifty bucks for something that you could be satisfied in like thirty minutes. You know what else leaves a horrible taste in your mouth? And I'm happy to report it's finally left my mouth. That switch cartridge we licked like an, uh, two hours ago. It finally left like in the last fifteen minutes or so. Just thought you should know the taste. Well, anyway, um. Yeah, so I guess Street Fire, we'll see how it does. I hope it does well because I want Capcom to keep supporting the system because I want them to bring a Resident Evil over. I would love like a Revelations 3 or something. But if, if Street Fire bomb or a new Mega Man even. But if Street Fire bombs, I don't know if they'll do anything but Monster Hunter. So Which would be awesome. Yeah, but that's not enough. Capcom is so much. So we'll have to wait and see. We'll get Ace Attorney. That's fine. Oh, yeah, and Ace Attorney for sure. Yeah, that's a shoe in definitely. But um, it's synonymous with Nintendo at this point. No, Resident Evil would be cool, but I would love a new Revelations or even like some sort of pared down Resident Evil Seven. I don't think it can handle real Seven, but something of that ilk would be cool. Yeah. But before we get anywhere near that, there are other games coming out, and this is my not so great transition to the fact that I, as I mentioned earlier, just came from the Switch preview tour, which is not really a preview when it's two days after the launch of the Switch. But there were games there that aren't out, so it's a bit of a preview. I have to give, I have to give Nintendo credit; they actually did a really cool setup. So. In many ways, it reminded me of how the Wii U preview tour was, however many moons ago that was, um, in that they basically rented a soundstage here in L.A., and they set up a whole, like, room within it. Um, I will say I went solo to this one because somebody named Angel, as in you, uh, had prior obligations that they couldn't get out of, but... Going solo, you do lose a little of the excitement. Like you walk in, so you come in and they have like this room. Like you're you're ushered into the soundstage. You're not even let into the room. You're like at a wall, and there's a door in the wall that opens, and you walk through. But they're like blasting "Good Feeling" by Avicii, or yeah, whatever it's called by Avicii. And like you walk in, and they're doing like the Apple thing where they all high five you as you walk in. And like if you've never played the Switch and you're like super amped up to try it for the first time, it's like oh, this is so cool. But as someone who's played the Switch and owns the Switch and has a broken Switch, I was like. Hey, yeah great <laughs> but the, the setup was actually really cool so they had like stations for each game um they, and they had stuff in each station that kind of reflected the game if you're over by mario kart they had like mario's kart that you could pose with if you're over by splatoon they had a life a giant like life-size amiibo of the squid amiibo uh if you were over at zelda you could pose with a master sword prop if you were over by arms they had it look like you were in like a they, like, like they had tickers everywhere as if it was like a arena of some sort they had the really cool setup for trying mario kart 8 where they had four different ways to play you could play on a fake airplane in in a tabletop mode you could play in a fake living room complete with family portraits of mario in uh tv mode you could play i think it was a diner also in tabletop mode where it was a full-on diner they had like the m diner yeah the m diner or you could play i don't remember the last one i think it was just like handheld mode so it kind of loses some oh yeah it's handheld mode at the diner and then some fourth option i don't remember though obviously it made the least impact but it's a really well set up thing and every station had like and then they had booths in between for little games they featured a lot of smaller games which was really cool has been heroes was there fast remix was there uh poyo pop cross tetris was there like a lot of games you wouldn't necessarily street fire was there a lot of games you wouldn't necessarily expect to have 
a prominent spot were given some attention, which was kind of kind of nice to see. And they were in these little booths that had like lamps that had the name of the game on the lampshade. It was really well done. We're gonna put a gallery on the site sometime this week of my photos of the event and a write up about what you can expect to see there. Well, it ended. We were the last stop. This was the last day of the last stop. So, what you missed if you didn't go, we'll have a gallery of that at ramtown.com. So follow us on Twitter, make sure you don't miss it. Um, but more importantly, I played games. I played unreleased games. I uh, figured I should talk about a few. So the ones I'm going to talk about are Arms, Mario Kart 8's Battle Mode, and I guess Sonic Mania. If you have questions, it's basically a Sonic game. So we'll, we'll see when we I've get. I've seen there. enough of that game too. I feel like Sonic exactly Mania. About. Like yeah, Sonic Mania. Well, I'll talk about it a little just for people I don't know because it's in- it's Sonic Mania is interesting that it is a fan made game that Sega basically was like sure we'll publish it, which is crazy if you start. Well, not really fan made, but like they. We'll get to it. The one I really want to talk about, though, is ARMS, because ARMS is awesome. So ARMS um, was the very first thing I played when I walked in. I played it, I think, three times over the course of the 90-minute session I was allowed to have at the event. And uh, and the thing about ARMS... Oh, I should mention, before I even get to ARMS, just in case you needed to know, Nintendo had snacks everywhere, and they were delicious, and they were all Switch-branded. They had white and red M&Ms in a Switch bag. They had goldfish in a Switch bag. They had cookies with Switch on them. It was like, I've never been that well fed at a Nintendo event. They had a hot dog vendor outside and a cotton candy vendor, who, of course, was spinning cotton candy in the neon Joy-Con colors. It was really well thought out on the food level and on the game level. But anyway, ARMS. So ARMS was funny because I am used to the Joy-Con now because I've had a few days. So when I took the controller, you turn... we realized this when they announced it, but I forgot, so it's kind of weird to get back into it. You actually hold the Joy-Con sideways. You make a fist and sort of put the Joy-Con down your fist so that your index finger at the front of your fist is where the um, the trigger, it, like the Z, L, Z, R triggers are, and then your thumbs are kind of resting on the normal L and R, if that makes sense. So you turn it 90 degrees from how you normally would. So it's as if you're punching, holding it forward. And it, it kind of... It, Kind of works really well, actually. So when you play ARMS, or when you see ARMS, the first thing that comes to mind is, of course, Wii Boxing, and that it's going to be another flail fest. But what you very, very quickly realize is there's actually strategy involved. There's actually depth to this. You cannot win if you flail at all. So over the three different matches I played, I played as three different characters to get a feel for just how much variety there is, how much uniqueness there is. And I would recommend anyone that has a chance to try ARMS or wants to like ease yourself into ARMS, start with Mummy Master. He's a bit of a tank. He moves the slowest, but it allows you to really get used to the control. So basically how it works is you can punch forward to punch forward. You can punch at an angle to sort of swing your arm around and hit someone. And you move by tilting the controllers. So if you move both hands to the right, you move to the right. If you move both hands to the left, you move to the left. And if you click the L or R button on the top of your Joy-Con with your thumb, as you move left or right, you can either jump or dodge depending on which button you're pressing. So all of that means that automatically it's already more than uh, Wii Boxing because now you actually have some bobbing and weaving you can do. You're not just sitting there flailing. But you also have to account for what the other person's doing. And there's a whole rock, paper, scissors like uh, triangle of different attacks being able to do different things compared to others. And then you can also block by kind of turning the Joy-Cons as if you're like opening a door handle like or putting a key in or something like you turn them horizontal. And all this is going on while you're in the midst of a fight and you have to be pretty strategic and kind of outmaneuver your opponent and it's actually really fun like depending on the character you pick depending on the boxing glove you pick you can have one of three different gloves or weapons or items whatever you want to call them that really really does affect how it goes more than you expect like when i was mummy master that first time i lost 
the first match, but I won the second when I switched from one of his big burly gloves to one that shoots three little needle things in like a fan out motion. And that actually helped me a lot to be able to anticipate dodges because I would just hit whichever way they dodge. What it didn't do is help with jumping though. So that's something I had to factor in by picking the right glove on the right hand because this was in my left hand and make sure that one could deal with them if they're in the air. So there's definitely strategy involved. It's more of a fighting game than it is just a boxing game, which I think Nintendo's been trying to really hammer home to people. That's the case. And yeah, it is 100% the case. And also even the characters themselves are vastly different. Um, Ribbon Girl jumps insanely high, for example, and is really nimble, almost too much so. Like, if you play with her and you're not very good at it, you are going to be all over the map because you, you need to make very defined motions. That's something I learned only by, like, the third match I did. Again, not like Wii Sports where you can just sort of gently, you know, you just flick the controller a little and it does what it does. In in uh, arms, you really need to follow through on your punch. You need to extend that arm and then retract it and do that sort of thing. And the reason for that is because... Not only do you move left and right when you tilt the Joy-Cons, but you can also move forward and backwards towards your opponent by kind of moving the controllers in a forward motion, like pulling them down a little or pulling them back towards your chest. So if you're doing weak punches, or if you're doing weak blocks or you're not extending your arms out when you tilt them into the block pose, you're just going to kind of flail about. Your character's just not going to do much. You really have to get into it. Which brings up the one issue with arms, and that is, while motion controls are going to be super fun to play when you're with other people locally and you're both like, it becomes like a stamina challenge against someone else, I don't see a reason why you would necessarily do do uh, single-player motion controls. I mean, yes, they are really fun, but the same exact things can be accomplished with button presses without your arms feeling dead. Like, the game has enough depth that it can work with just button presses, if that makes sense. Well, so it's not, it's not a knock to the motion controls because they work great and they have a lot to them and you really need to put all, your all into it. But if you're like, I'm going to play some arms for an hour, I don't know if you're standing alone in your living room punching for an hour. I don't know if that's exactly what you're going to want to do. You're probably going to be comfortable with a pro controller or using standard controls, which are an option. So just something to think about. The motion controls, again, they work great. They're really fun. I just can't see them being something you do unless there's someone in the room, at least me personally. But the game is really fun, and I am more excited for it than I think I was going in, significantly more. So that's always a plus. And I don't know if that sold you. I mean, you were already on board because it's a fighting game, right? Yeah. Since, but since I guess after after the first trade and the first some set of impressions started rolling out, yeah. I was definitely sold on it. Actually, after the Treehouse demo, that was definitely what sold. And me. I realize a lot of what I said kind of is intent is similar to what the Treehouse was saying during their uh, demo of it. But you don't really realize just like a lot. The problem with any sort of like Treehouse, the Treehouse is usually pretty honest. But you always run into that issue where a company's gonna market its game. One two switch is not the second coming of Wii Sports or anything like that as Nintendo wants it to be. So with something like ARMS, there's always that hesitance of, is it really as much as much depth as Nintendo's saying is? Is there as much to it? But I'm happy to report after multiple matches, it looks like it is. I mean, we won't know for sure until it comes out in spring, but it is definitely on the right track. So so ARMS gets a, a must-watch from me, so to speak. Um, next up, I guess, would be Mario Kart 8's Battle Mode. So it's... Mario Kart battle mode. That's all. No, it's uh. So, so, so no, there's more. It, there's more. Is um, it so? It's the one where someone dies to turn into a bomb, and then uh, then they could terrorize the other people until yes. they explode. No, no. So what we did? No, that's the old Mario Kart. So we did bomb on blast. So it's not that was the one mode. mode. Yes, that was the. We got to do imitation. modern bomb on blast. And what's interesting about battle mode is, to your point, this is not old school battle mode any way, shape, or form. This is the battle mode we last saw on a the Mario Wii Kart. Or like the, I think it was the Wii version. 
This is that. And what I mean by that is not only is it when you run out of bomb or when you get blown up and run out of balloons, you suddenly respawn just with fewer points earned. It also means you're, at least in the level I played, now granted I only did the anti-grav arena level, but it is basically gigantic. Because that, that was an issue I think some people had with the last iteration of battle mode is these stages were huge. Well, because they were the tracks, so yeah. Yeah. No, no, no. I don't mean the Wii U one. I mean the Wii one. The stages in battle mode were also – oh, yeah, they were the tracks as well. And I think that's what's happening here. I don't think it's the track. I mean we know for a fact it's not. Nintendo said it's not. But they feel of that scale. And I understand that's because there's 12 people involved. But I felt like half the time I was running around looking for people to blow up, they just weren't there. You'd be surprised how crucial that map is in these larger stages. Like in old school battle mode, everything was really compact and you could just run around and throw bombs or whatever and you would pre you'd be pretty sure you hit some people. In this one, you are using the map to determine where people are. That doesn't necessarily make it better, doesn't make it worse. It's just a change. Well, so just fair, be aware I mean, it's a change. I, they definitely I mean I obviously haven't played them, but just by looking they definitely do look bigger than the average mouse. But they are huge. to give them some credit, um when we played the N sixty four battle mode recently. Yeah. I they felt too small. No, I was gonna say I forgot how big they were. They were way bigger than I ever gave them credit for. I remember them being a lot smaller, but I don't know. Yeah, the the, the rooftop way... is still pretty small. Oh yeah, that one's small that's but super tiny. Yeah, like but, too small. That's yeah, what I was yeah, thinking. Yeah, but but Blockfort and, well, Blockfort's large. Yeah. yeah, Blockfort and the Donut one. I think I just imagine those being a lot smaller. But, but I mean, we just played Mario Kart 64 together. We had our retro night, so to speak, like what, a couple weeks ago? Yeah. So I feel like if I'm after playing those, going to battle mode in Mario Kart, and be like, well, this is massive. It probably is massive. But um, that's not necessarily a knock against it. That's the thing. I'm like, I'm not trying to discourage people from Mario Kart 8. Like, well, isn't it because you could play with eight people at once? Well, I, th- I think it's 12 even. Well, maybe yeah. it's eight. Which kind of sucks because i mean the other ones were designed with four people in mind and yeah. that's the thing like you're never going to play with it like, you want to play this locally and you're rarely going to have 12 people so i wish they had taken into consideration yeah. or at least have like i don't know like smash brothers equivalent of like large battlefield like big battlefield like just have a a smaller one for like local play like oh you're only going to have some people huddled around a game like uh, a switch dock i mean the switch the tabletop mode just give yourself like a mini version of the stage or i think that'd be great like honestly because the thing is like when i did the battle mode at the event which again i I can't stress this enough it was really fun it's just i want to set expectations a bit for people but it was really i really enjoyed it but it's not the same battle mode when you think marker battle mode i think the majority of us our mindset shifts to like the n64 battle mode or double dashes or ds's even this is not quite that but what i was going to say is um that's a very good point you raised because i it was me and one other guy playing in nintendo's fake living room with a family portrait of mario looking on and a little plush yoshi and a fake fireplace it was very nice they even had a fake window anyway we were playing and it was just the two of us and it was like 10 computers and it was like i feel like i'm not really playing another person i mean yes there's a dude sitting next to me that i'm playing against but it wasn't really like i was playing him we were just kind of both put in the same vast space of bombs that we could throw like you know what i mean like it didn't feel yeah, I mean, as competitive because there were so many people and it was so open so yeah if they did like a tightened in like you have four people great here are shrunk down maps like if the map scale dynamically that'd be really cool it's but funny because because racing i don't mind that having like a ton of people because you want to play online with that yeah but battle is something that i don't really care to play online like I'm that, a- that, like that, that's something i would want to play locally just to like see the reactions of my friends as i like blow them up or hit them or something yeah. I mean, you don't really get that. I mean, there is still some of that anger in single player. I mean, in racing, but I don't know. I mean, I mean, that's just me. Like, I, for me, battle mode is a local thing, not an online thing. And if 
I will forever see it, it like that. It's interesting because, like, I played Battle... If I remember correctly, it wasn't Battle Mode Online for DS. It was, right? Because I think I... Mario Kart DS, because I think I played it online. <laughs> I feel like I played it online, and I really enjoyed it then. But yeah, now... Like, I was making that point where it's like we were playing a bunch of computers, and how different is that from playing online? As far as you're concerned, as a single person on your couch, it's not necessarily all that different. But yeah, I don't know. I'm okay with online, but in person, I felt like it could use to be it could scale the other thing of note that's kind of interesting is i was actually using the joy con wheel to play now let me rephrase it had a joy con wheel but i was using the stick because it works either or but i did want to say the joy con wheel is much like everything else with the switch feels nice it definitely is more of a wii wheel than a sort of like drastic sturdier thing like the joy con or the wii or, or the switch in general i mean but it, it it's small it's comfortable it doesn't have quite the like the way they set it up is in, unlike with the Wii wheel on um, the Wii where they basically mapped a secondary you know how like you couldn't really reach the B trigger so they had, like a fake button on that came on the wheel mm-hmm. so they actually because this wheel is smaller you are using oh no they are ma- nope they're fake buttons as well now that I think about it but they just feel better they feel more natural they're better, they're better placed they line up with the back of the controller opposed to kind of being this huge button on the side. So it, it felt very comfortable, more so than I think the Wii Wheel ever felt in my time using it. So that was kind of nice. Maybe it's a small size. I don't know. But but to be clear, because the Sonic I was down now on Mario Kart, and I know I keep saying this, but it was really fun. I am actually more certain I'm getting Deluxe when it comes out because like having online with all the people I'm friends with on Switch and having Battle Online as an option should, should I choose it, it's cool to have. It's just gauge your expectations appropriately, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I guess the last game of note is probably Sonic Mania, which um, I kind of alluded to. Like Splatoon 2, that they're doing the test fire at the end of the month, the global test fire, which we're, of course, got impressions of when that happens. So I held off on playing that to go back to ARMS a few times and, you know, flesh out my experience a bit. But, uh, but so that's why, like, I'm just, <laughs> that's why it's not on the list, really. But, yeah, Sonic Mania... The thing that Sonic Mania struck me that struck me most about Sonic Mania is, boy, the right Joy-Con is not the best for a game like that. So they had me play with just the right Joy-Con. I'm not entirely sure why. You could have just done it in handheld mode, but nope. And having that stick in the middle of the Joy-Con with the four buttons directly to the right of it and then nothing for half a Joy-Con to the left of the stick was definitely a little strange. It wasn't bad. It was totally playable. My hands didn't cramp or anything, but it just, like, I felt like my thumb was... Going further than it needed to go, so I don't know. But but Sonic Mania itself, beyond the controls, um, is pretty. It's a pretty interesting idea of how it came about. I was starting to allude to that earlier, where from my understanding, it was basically a fan project that Sega or developers making a Sonic thing, and Sega was just like, you know what? What if you made this a real Sonic game, and sort of just handed them the keys to the kingdom and gave them all the IP and sprites and whatnot they need, and then here we have Sonic Mania, which is like a throwback to pretty much all the Sonics of yesteryear. Focusing most, I would say, on what, Sonic CD, probably? Yeah. So this does feel like that. Like, this is not Sonic 1 so much. This is it, It's it's old school Sonic for sure. I did Green Hill Zone. It feels like Green Hill Zone. But unlike old original Sonic, like Sonic 1 and Sonic 2, you have a lot of different paths to get to your end goal. It's Sonic CD in that regard where they kind of stack. So, like, you could be running along the top, and there's actually three or four or five paths below you. And you don't even realize it unless you somehow get sprung down there by a spring saying you backwards or something. And then suddenly you have a whole new path that takes you forward again. So it, it uh, I mean, it's not much to say about Sonic, but it does capture Sonic quite what Sonic CD specifically quite well. Um, it is fun. So are you going to get it? I, you know, I wasn't planning to originally, but after playing it, I, I'm starting to consider it. Hmm. 
Because, like, I like Sonic, and I have, like, you know, Sonic Mega Collection and that sort of thing and, and whatnot, but I don't know. Like, having a new Sonic built in this style that really, like, it, it, it kind of goes back to the indie thing we were talking about, where it's, like, the familiar was the familiarity but with a new twist was kind of nice. Because Mega Collection never had Sonic CD, if I'm, not, if I'm mistaken. I might be mistaken. Did Mega Collection have Sonic CD? I, mm, I don't know. I but I've never, it. as far as I know, whether it's in Mega Collection or not, I personally have never played Sonic CD. So the opportunity to play a brand new game in that styling, which I did enjoy at the event because it did have, you know, that multi-level situation going on. The ability to do that is actually kind of appealing. And, you know, we're going to have gaps in the lineup for Switch. So there's a great opportunity to play this during one of those gaps. So, yeah, I, I think I'm actually... I went in just like, oh, yeah, it's going to be Sonic. And I came out going, it is Sonic, but it's a little different than what I'm personally used to. So that, that got me pretty interested in it, I think. Hmm. But, yeah, in terms, of, in terms of other stuff at the event... um. Those are the big three. I mean, like I said, I didn't touch Splatoon 2 because we'll be playing that in a couple weeks. Obviously, didn't play Zelda because I have Zelda. Uh, didn't touch 1-2-Switch, but I will say 1-2-Switch was funny. They, You were in a 1-2... If you're playing 1-2-Switch, you were in a jail cell. They put you in a glass box that was just, like, sitting by itself. You'll see it in our gallery when it goes up on the site, but it's literally, like, a glass box just self-enclosed, and everyone can look at you, and it has... And it's, it's because it's glass, it has support beams, which are, of course, gray. So it literally looks like a jail cell that you're being forced to play one, two, switch in, which is kind of funny. Like a fancy jail cell made of glass, but a jail cell. Um, but yeah, I didn't play that. Uh, Fast Racing, Fast Remix was there. I tried that, but I didn't really. It, it looks better. Like it, the graphics are noticeably crisper than on the Wii U. Like it, it definitely got an enhancement. Uh, the new tracks are fun. Didn't really notice HD Rumble on the Pro Controller. Um, and I think that's about. But you know, we're there. It's supposedly there. Oh. I think... Well, let me put it this way. The Pro Controller can That's support HD Rumble, but I don't know if they turned it on oh, on the Pro Controller. Because I figured that kind of lines up with what some other people were saying. We're like, oh, I know I had HD Rumble, but I couldn't... Like, the only game they really felt it on was, like... I don't know, maybe ARMS, but just that it was, like, a Rumble. Oh, yeah, I didn't even talk about that. So, ARMS actually... ARMS HD Rumble is interesting. Thank you for reminding me. Yes, it's there, and yes, it does the unraveling thing, but it's not nearly as forceful as you would think. I didn't, I noticed it rumbling, but I did not go, it feels like my arm is extending off the controller, which is how Nintendo pitched it. Like, it did not at all feel like that. But I definitely felt like it was shooting up the controller a little, or like out, I should say. Like, it kind of went from front to back, but it was not anywhere near the way Nintendo's pitching it. And I don't know if that's because it's a demo and they're still working on it or what, but while it was cool, it was not, it was no balls in 1-2-Switch. It was no ball count moment. It was nothing of that caliber where I literally had my mind. It was, the, you know what? It wasn't even virtual milking. That's the thing to beat. I know. It wasn't even virtual cow milking. It wasn't even that much of a sensation. But it was pretty cool in a way that, like, it did. Like, you, you know, you, you throw your punch forward and it does kind of, like, acknowledge that something's happening. So that was nice. But but that's that's about it. Um, so, yeah, the event was pretty cool. I hope Nintendo keeps doing tours like this going forward. Um, I know they usually do it around launch, but I think this is a great opportunity to get upcoming games in the hands of people outside of comic-con and e3 and WonderCon and pax and all that so so we'll see but i think before we go we have one final bit of business to get to and that is our giveaway so as we said at the very top of the show our longtime listener satoshi recently uh very nicely sent us a 20 dollars eShop code to help make the switch launch just a little more special for one of you guys out there so it's the perfect amount to get snipper clips. It's the perfect amount to get, you know, fast racing or fast remix, or to put it towards uh, the DLC towards Zelda, or to just put it towards any Switch game now or in the future. Maybe one of the indie games we talked about. So it's pretty much free money. It's literally free money. So all you need to do to enter is go to Nintendo.com, 
go to the blog post for this episode, which again is episode 145, Switched On, and leave a comment telling us your favorite feature about the Switch itself. No, Zelda doesn't count. We're talking hardware feature. Such as the UI or the fact that you can actually detach the controllers from the console itself. Yeah, yeah, that counts too. Like anything that anything about the Switch that makes it what it is is fair game. And what we're going to do is um, we're going to choose one commenter at random to pick as the winner of the code, but we're also going to be sharing some of the things you guys brought up that we maybe didn't cover this episode in our next episode where we announce our winner, which will be on March 19th. So not only is that episode where we're going to hear our full Zelda Breath of the Wild impressions, and there's a lot to say about the game with me game, but it's also how you're going to find out if you won the gift code, uh, the gift code, the eShop code, there we go, <laughs> and it's going to be uh, where you can hear some other cool things about the Switch that maybe we didn't highlight, and or maybe your own thing that you like. Um, and, and the thing about Zelda is I realized that by then everyone's been playing it a lot, but so I've been enjoying reading spoiler-free impressions of Zelda. I don't know what it is. Something about Zelda, in fact, that says choose your own adventure, literally like a choose your own adventure book as a video game. Something about that makes it really interesting to see how other people are playing and what they think of it. So I'm hoping you guys look forward to that episode. To make sure you don't miss it, um, you can as always subscribe to us on iTunes or Podcast Addict or Player FM or Google Play Music, whatever it is you use. If you are on iTunes, if you would be so kind as to leave us a review on iTunes, that'd be great. Um, it gives us more exposure than you would think it would, and that gives us opportunities for contests in the future and the like. So if, if you don't mind sparing a few minutes, we'd appreciate it. Otherwise, if you want to just follow along with us, you can also do so on Twitter, at Ram Nintendo, where we'll be tweeting not just when our next episode's up, but also the uh, Switch Preview Tour gallery, as well as our friend codes for the Switch. Because now that uh, Angel and myself both have Switches, we have friend codes, and we want to be friends with you guys on the Switch and play online and whatnot. So... Keep an eye out on our Twitter for those friend codes. We also are adding them to our profile pages at ramtown.com. And if you prefer to follow us in other capacities, namely just on Twitter, I am JSR7, Angel is Wero, W-E-I-R-O. And really with that, that's it till March 19th. So go out there, enjoy your switches. And as for me, I'm going to work on getting a functional dock again. Yep.